This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather, tools, and all your other leather working needs. Specialise in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo, and many others. They ship international and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. Today I'm with Bear from Bear Claw Leather. Bear is from Massachusetts. Massachusetts. How do you say it? Massachusetts. Massachusetts, (laughs) United States, and hand makes wallets, bags, belts, and has done many collaborations with other businesses making leather merchandise. His business recently turned five years old and sells leather goods all over America. Welcome, Bear. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. That's all good. Um, thanks for reaching out. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I uh, I I liked the uh, episodes that you were putting out, and I was like, you know, I've I haven't done a podcast for uh, my leather work. I've done I've done them for other projects and stuff like that. But I was like, yeah, it'd be fun to talk to someone about leather. Yeah, you know, someone that actually understands what I'm saying, rather than my poor wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you find the podcast? Because I'd like to hear. Um, I I actually think it was um it was a previous guest of yours. I think it was the Lone Lone Penguin. Oh yeah, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse from Lone Penguin. I, I, he posted it, and I, that was the first one I listened to. And I was like, oh okay. And then I saw that you did uh, and then I and then I kind of went backwards, and I started from the beginning, and I and I went oh, yeah. forward, and, and I was like, wow, he, he's a, uh, I I I appreciate your interview style. You're very calm. <laughs> oh, that's not, thanks for that. Yeah, because I, I, I can't see any comments on Spotify. Like, I don't know if there's a comment system or what, but so... Um, I, wouldn't like, know. I don't leave, I don't, I almost never leave any like comments or reviews. I'm horrible because I'm constantly begging people for comments and reviews and I never do it myself. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if someone thinks this is horrible, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, oh no, you're doing a fantastic no, job. No, thanks for that. Um, yeah, actually we'll, we'll get, we'll get into it actually. So how did you get into leather work? So, um, you know, we, we were we were kind of talking about this earlier, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you have to I, re- I always, repeat it like it never happened. I always, <laughs> I always joke around and say, you know, uh, so many of us have the, almost the same creation story, you know, yeah. uh, where it's oh, I needed something and I couldn't find it, and I thought I'd make it out of leather, and oh, how hard could it be? Apparently, it could be very hard to make stuff out of leather so if yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Um, my wife and I were going away somewhere and I had at that point in my life started, um, moving from, uh, smoking cigars recreationally, you know, one or two a month to smoking pipe tobacco. And, um, one thing about pipes is you can't really smoke them too often or else the moisture will actually cause the, the, the wood to crack. And so that's why so many people who smoke pipe tobacco, um have multiple pipes so if you smoke twice a day you need probably two pipes a day yeah and then you got to give them a couple days to kind of like get the moisture out so if you're an everyday smoker you need like eight pipe to pipes to smoke oh. every day yeah it's kind of insane so luckily i smoke like once a week or i should say once every couple of months now back then it was like once a week yeah. and we were going away for about a week and i wanted um I wanted to get a, a carrying case for, you know, a couple of pipes, a little pouch for uh, my my pipe tobacco to go in, you know, pipe cleaners, all that. 
And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to Michael's and I'm, they have a leather section there. I'm going to get my leather from Michael's and they sell these, you know, um, eight by 10 horrible, horribly like tanned pieces of, I don't, I, I don't even want to call it leather. It's, 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 it's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael's, but it's an arts and crafts store. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere where you would go and get like crayons and, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> and, exactly. and, you know, and like decorations for holidays and stuff like that. And they literally in one aisle, it's like maybe 10 feet of quote unquote leather work stuff. And, you know, they sell water-based leather glue and stuff, but it's not really meant to be good high quality stuff you know it's stuff that you would give your child that they wanted to mess around with leather you know mm-hmm. and um and i just thought okay this is where you go to to buy leather you know this is this is my this is where i go so i made um i bought some glove leather because everything else they had was like really thick and like turquoise yeah. so i bought some like brown glove leather and i bought um i i i thought how you actually stitch the leather was you had to put your ruler on the end and mark where every single hole was and you had to do it all manually and that's how i made this horrible contraption that i had and um and then i was like all right there's got to be a better way than this and i just decided to youtube leather work or leather making and um i fell through a rabbit hole and i must have made this thing over and over again five or six times until it finally looked like something that somebody was willing to buy um i bought all my tools off of ebay and amazon because i was unaware that there was such a thing like tandy leather um i didn't know there was a springfield leather or any of these like dedicated leather places um and so i was ordering from like overseas because i thought that's just how you got these tools and then um I decided to google like leather store near me and a tandy leather is about an hour, hour and a half away from my house. And I walked in and I was like, whoa, okay, this is where I need to be. Yeah. And I, be- I became friends with them and I learned so much from them. Um, uh, two of my, two of them who, who I first met there still work there, uh, Lauren and Steve. Um, they work at the, uh, the Boston location, which is actually in North Chelmsford. Uh, Massachusetts and then um, the other individual who I met there her name is Jamie between the three of them I went from like a below beginner all the way to an okay leather worker you know (laughs) yeah and um and I was very thankful for them because they spent a lot of time answering my annoying questions you know and then directing me to really good leather workers who um will actually you know uh, a leather working sites who were actually learn more from yeah so yeah just humble beginnings you know just <laughs> yeah it's i know it's, it's very similar with a lot of leather workers because i remember like you when you sort of get into the the like leather craft you, you sort of feel like you're all alone it's like you're on like a life raft like yeah. when you when you begin you're like okay i'm gonna like just see how i go and then you just when you come in touch with like a the actual community it's just like a it's it's just, it's amazing well one thing i noticed was all the youtubers at the time who had information on leathercraft were british australian or japanese there were no americans five years ago with a youtube channel 
for leather work, you know, and now there's, there's, you know, there's three or four that are, you know, at the top of their game at the moment, but every day more and more people are realizing how beneficial it is to have a YouTube page that is uh, coexistent with your business because it just draws people. It's almost like a sales funnel. Uh, it's, it's like a natural sales funnel. They'll be, oh, this is interesting. Oh, they have beautiful stuff. Oh, they have a website. I'm going to go take a look at their website, yeah. you know? <laughs> So yeah. it's uh it's it's nice because you're you're getting more and more uh Americans willing to tell you their tricks and trades. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially since um, you know, we all basically make the same stuff. <laughs> but we're all from you know and I, 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 I hate to say it, but like it's we all make the same things, man. A belt's a belt. It just depends on who you want to buy it from. Yeah. You're not buying the actual leather product. You're buying it from the person that you like. So being presentable and approachable and nice to people will make people want to buy your stuff more. And that's why I do very, very well at fairs and not so well on online sales because I don't have a very large online presence because I like to be in front of people. Yeah. You know, so my, my fairs I do very well at. And then my online sales are just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I know, but you can talk about this subject for like hours. It's, it's such a fascinating thing. It's like instead of going to, it's, it's kind of like a trade school, pretty much. Like you, how you yes. can learn online and YouTube, and you can buy courses. You can site like subscribe to books. There's so many books out there, and, and a lot of them are just basic copies of the other one. You know, because like I said, you know, the technique is technique. You know, once. Yeah. Once somebody masters a technique, it, I always say, like, you know, you, you can always be inspired by something, but inventing something at this time in 2021, it's very close to impossible, you know? Mm, even like a rocket ship, it's like someone's done that before yeah. you. <laughs> like... yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe you, maybe you redesign the thrusters or something, but all in all, it's yeah, still it's, a rocket it's, ship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, yeah, like, cause a lot of, even like a lot of things have like military history, like boots, bags, you know, like mm -hmm. that post, like that postal messenger bag we were talking about previously. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at the boots, like a lot of things have, or like, uh, like Aaron Williams boots, they have like a stockman history. So yeah, it's, yeah, unless you're d designing something like a teleporter or something like that. <laughs> Like I said, you know, you're there, nobody's gonna knock you for like we said earlier that that um sorry I'm just moving over to get to a charger here because the other one was working very slowly. Um, no one's gonna knock you for making a messenger bag inspired by the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah, because they're beautiful bags mm. and people like them. People will buy them. So why not make it? But you know, to, I, it's different to say. I made this. This is my design. I invented it. It's like, well, if if the U.S. Postal Service has been using this ever since the 1800s, you, you probably didn't invent it. Yeah. You know, you probably, you're inspired by the design, and I think that's a that's something that a lot of people um, need to reword on their uh, on their descriptions. You know, people okay. like to take. Um, people like uh, leather workers tend to I mean, not all of I mean I shouldn't say all leather workers but you know some of the newer leather workers I've seen like to say that they've you know this is my design this is my design and it's like well there's 150 other leather workers that have made three card sleeves yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> yeah <three laughs> like pockets. like you can't you can't you can't say that you invented a six pocket bifold you know 
Yeah, I was, there was a part where, like, I was, I think I was designing a wallet, and it's like, oh, I want to have, like, a unique, like, pocket um, shape, and it's like, oh, this person's on this one, this person's on this one, this person's on this one, oh. it's like, just pick one that you and, like, I guess. And that's, why, and that's what I love about this new trend of, um, there's this new trend of, uh, that I'm seeing in leather work, where people are just, hey, you like this? Buy my pattern. <laughs> you know, yeah. spend, you know, he, I'll, I'll sell you an acrylic template or a pe- paper template and you could literally make this for yourself. And if you're another leather worker and you want to make this and sell it, we just ask you to change something about it. Yeah. You know, maybe the shape is different. Maybe you add another pocket or something, just change it. Yeah. And then you can call it yours. And that's what I love about where leather working is coming because I feel like leather workers are starting to realize, Oh, there is literally nothing new. Everything has been done, so we might as well, like, I wouldn't say help each other, but just be less um, less defensive about designs. Because I remember even, even when I started doing this five years ago, nobody would talk to you. Absolutely nobody would talk to me. Nobody. And now it's, it's people are... People can't give out enough information about yeah. their business. People are so – these workers are so giving. Look at what um, look at what Stock and Barrel is doing, Odin Leather. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's all these you know, people that I looked up to five years ago who I was like, wow, these are the people that I want to um, emulate. I mean I think Stock and Barrel started – not either not much before me or after me and just seeing how they skyrocketed and became such a powerhouse in the american leather scene um it's amazing and then also with with odin leather like i i remember like just every single day just looking up hey what's odin doing today i want (laughs) to You know, yeah. I wanted my workshop to look like his. I wanted, I wanted my my stitches to look as good as his. And then, and um, and luckily, you know, Odin has always answered my questions. I rem- even back in the day, man, he he was, he's always been awesome. And um, I remember one day I ordered some uh, some bracelet clasps that looked a lot like the ones he had, and I reached out to him and I was like, hey, man. I just ordered these from eBay and I was showing them to my friend and my friend said that they looked a lot like yours and I just went to your website and I, and I noticed that they're pretty much exactly the same as yours and I'm really sorry. I just want to let you know I'm not trying to copy you. Um, if you want, I could return these and I could get a different class and he was like, oh man, don't worry about it. He's like, nobody does anything new anymore. You know what I mean? Same thing I've been branding about for the past 10 minutes. Yeah. If you like it, you like it and I appreciate you reaching out and I was like, Wow okay, this is great. Like, I don't have to be worried about this guy coming after me saying, you stole this, you stole that, you know? Yeah. Which is, uh, which was great for little old me who was, you know, you know, had 200 people following him on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Not that, you know, the, not that your, uh, your work ethic and quality is dictated by how many people follow you on social media. You know, that's all, that's a whole different game in itself. Yeah. I think I'm starting to realize that now it's like, it doesn't really matter how many people follow you. Like, I guess like, <sighs> as long as you keep doing yeah. what you're doing and it's... I am so happy. I fell out of the follow, like follow mindset. Yeah. Or like the, the, the I was, I, I thought I wasn't going to amount to anything unless I had 10,000 followers on social media or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it was a couple of years ago where I was like, man, 
I'm still making sales, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and just because you have 10,000 followers doesn't mean every single one of those followers are going to buy something from you. Yeah. And I get people who buy stuff from me who don't even follow me on social media. So it's, you, you can just do the best you can do. You yeah. Know? And a lot of like people will be leather crafters as well. Cause they like what you do. They'll follow you. So like most of your followers, hey, like going back to those patterns, they, they are so handy because it, to, to, I remember when I was designing like a minimalist wallet. It's like how far do I want, how far do I want the card to be in, and and it's yeah. just so easy when someone's just like, hey, here's a pattern, just do that, and this is what it looks like, and then you can sort of so go from there. I'm I'm not sure if they ship internationally, but there's a great company out here called Make Supply, and um, it's a it's it's just a guy who makes these acrylic templates, and that's so. When I first started out, I I was told you have to make your own templates, you have to make your own patterns, all that stuff, and um, and I would make them, and I just all my stuff just looked a little weird, mm. you know, the pockets might be a little bit too shallow, or like I had too much room in some stuff, and and then one day I um I bought a uh, acrylic template from these guys that make supply, and it was for like a three card holder you know like just a little card wallet um had had a pocket on each side and then the middle pocket and i made one look so much better than the one i had made and it was it wasn't off by a lot i mean we're talking about like centimeters here you know what i mean it was just mine was just like two centimeters too long my pockets were like three centimeters too small or something um and 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 i just started realizing like there's nothing wrong with with using templates, you know, as long as you're not buying them from another maker that doesn't want you reselling their stuff. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of makers out there who are like, okay, this is for someone who's just want to do this for fun. Yeah. Um, so you have to have a little bit of integrity because, like I said, you're not supposed to just go around stealing people's stuff. But, um, you know, these – these the 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 ability to have a template and then building off of that template is really important. I so I've I uh, what I've done is I've 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 bought templates and I've worked with them and then I just augment them to fit my look and my style better. Yeah. And then from there I will um I will get either like a a, a die made from them or I'll get another template made of my augmented version of the first template I got. Um, and that's helped me a lot in the past. Uh, and, and it usually, you know, if, if it's something that doesn't sell very well, I just keep it as a template, but then if it sells really well, I'll usually go up and get it as a die. I'll, I'll, I'll invest that. I'll make that investment into a die. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at his, uh, he has some pretty good free, he has some like free templates, you know, there's like a, yeah, he's got a lot of stuff, a, a map case satchel. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think when I think when he when he first started doing it, all he had was like a couple of wallets, and now he's got like everything, and it's really great because you actually reach out to him, and he can make you um, acrylic templates for your own designs. Um, wow. Okay. That's which I really like. He has uh, he has tote templates. Does he? I just you know yeah yeah I I think I'm pretty sure he has like two or three tote templates. Um, and I and I think they're just uh, it's really cool because he he only makes it a half a template, so you have to to save some room, so you just flip it over, you know, you lay it down and you draw half of it, 
and then you flip it over to draw the rest of it, you know, because, you know, who's got room for a, for a, you know, five foot template, acrylic template <laughs> that doesn't break down. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Wow. He has like passport covers and. Yeah. He's got a lot of great stuff. And I always tell people, I, I've, I've had a couple of friends who are interested who, when they, when they see what I do, they're like, Oh, how can I get started? I'm like, well, luckily there's people like Make Supply and and all these other makers who are selling their own templates now that you could actually start off by making a lot better stuff than I did. You know, yeah. when I was doing this, I had to figure it out myself and a lot of measurements and a lot of sketches. And now it's like you just buy a template and you just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like I remember when I was starting out, it was like using that L shape ruler and it's like making sure yeah. everything's like square Everything and like. Is- right angles and perfect <laughs> and like make sure it's you know to it and then you have to cut it out but then like if you cut it out like a millimeter long wrong on like one side it will like oh. be uneven like when you stick stick it together and and there's nothing worse than a smooth ruler on veg tan because that thing it'll just slide yeah you know? <laughs> you're cutting it with a nice with a nice sharp blade and all of a sudden the ruler starts etching to the left every oh, ever so yeah. often <laughs> And then you're like, why don't my lines add up? Oh, there you go, because I, I have a nice big slant here. <laughs> yeah, actually. So, okay. So he has the, he has the basic leather tote bag build tutorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really great because he also has a lot of tutorials on almost every single um, on every single pattern and, and template he has. He's a great guy. And uh, I, 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 you know, I feel horrible because I don't know his name. Um, I wouldn't say I have a personal connection with him, but um, he's his his stuff is really good. And also, it's really what's really nice is you could send him your schematics for your own patterns, and he'll just laser cut all the every, anything you want for you. Yeah. So if you have a pattern that you like and you're tired of using paper, you could just send it to him, email it to him, and then he'll. Uh, he can laser cut it for you out of uh, that 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 thick acrylic that he uses. Wow, yeah, because I remember I years and years ago when I was making passport covers, and I was like, oh, I'll get them like acrylically cut. And I remember I got some cut, and it felt like so rare to like get it like laser cut, like uh, acrylic cut. But now it's just like everyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get, a I mean, la- I, get a laser I, machine and. Yeah, if, you have, if, if you've got ten grand to spend for, on a laser machine or something, because wow. I think I think that's I think that's how much those um, the big one is that that Glowforge one. Yeah, and I, I think like the the like intermediate level is what you need to like even do a little bit of thin veg tan, and it's like six thousand dollars or something. And I'm like, I'd I'd rather spend that money on sewing machines and and a bell skyver and yeah. all that stuff you know <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't mind just hand cutting and and all my stuff is I, I like a clean look you know i'm not i'm not laser etching designs into my stuff so yeah i don't really have a need for it if, if somebody wants uh something uh monogrammed i could just use uh my heat press or hammer it in with a with a with a regular initial press you yeah. know <laughs> Yeah, I'd have to get a heat press, but legend. Like, you know, I'm I'd... still waiting for mine. Yeah, <laughs> I ordered the uh, the really that really nice one from um, from Korea. Now look at me, I can't even remember the name of it. Um, they make these beautiful uh, like leather clamps uh, for hand sewing. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Some Dream Factory, Dream Factory. 
Um, and he makes this amazing heat prop foil heat press. Um, and the thing I like about it is the fact that like the whole head kind of swings away. So you can actually see the space that you're working on. And it's a relatively small space as well. And, um, and they also make, uh, they also have this stamp holder that could hold brass stamps. So I have brass stamps. So that was a big thing for me because that means I didn't have to buy another whole set of brass stamps. Yeah, I could just use that little, you know, spend a hundred dollars on getting a brass uh, stamp holder that perfectly centers everything. So yeah, um, but he's 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 uh, he's very far behind because everything's make to order. Oh yeah. So. I ordered it about two months ago, and uh, you know, I'll, you have to buy through Etsy, and and Etsy says, you know, oh, it'll be there on the fifth of March, and it's the sixth of March, and it hasn't even shipped yet. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm 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 trying to be very very patient, and I understand that shipping and and material costs are very very high right now. So uh, I just have to be a, a patient, uh, a little boy. Yeah. And, <laughs> Wait for my wait for my toys to come in. Yeah, I know. That's why one of the reasons why I ship through like DHL because it's like they get to you so much quicker. Whereas like the normal postal service, it's like you're clogged up yeah. with everybody else in the world buying things. It's just it, I I I wish they gave me an option to pick my shipping. There was only one option. Oh really? So I was like, I wonder what they're gonna send it through. You know, and yeah. I and I'm pretty sure it's just postal service. Um, yeah. And and you know you spend. You know, all this money on a nice heat press, and I'm I don't have to worry if this guy's gonna throw in the back of the the carrier van and <laughs> throw it on the plane. <laughs> just yeah, just this guy is gonna go to America, just chuck it on the plane. <laughs> Ditch it. Well, well, that's the thing because your parcel is no different to the other ten thousand parcels oh, that's been. Yeah, like like one parcel is gonna have full of teddy bears and the other one's a $1,500 heat press yeah. that's handmade for two months and yeah. they can have a fragile stamp all they want they're going to put it in the bottom of the stack yeah Sorry. well that's the thing is, is, is you know everyone's so overworked at the moment because for the past year they're buying online so I, I feel for these carriers but I mean I've had stuff stuck at you know my UPS distribution center for months and yeah. when it finally gets to me it's like the packaging is all ripped and there's yeah. water damage and i'm just like all right well thankfully it was just like a weightlifting bar or something like that you know what i mean I, it's not something that was like electronics or something yeah so. yeah no it's um yeah that's exactly that's one of the reasons why i've been going through dhl like it's a bit more expensive but it just gets to you in like a week and a bit it's just right. Um, right. Have you heard of the brand called Leather Stamp Maker? Yeah, he's uh, I, I want to say he's somewhere in the middle America. Yeah, he makes some stamps. I've actually, I, I'm, I'm. Uh, there's a couple of stamps I want to get made for in brass. Like the, the these yeah, ones. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. Those those little um those little uh, hand stamp the the alphabet set is amazing. He does great work, and the thing I like about him is all of his um all of his brass stamps are very deep. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had brass stamps where like, you know, they're like not even like three millimeter impressions. And the problem with it is like, you know, you're working off of a square brass stock. So when you push all of a sudden, now you have little square corners around your logo. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, 
if if you if that was the first thing you did for your project, okay, I'll just start over. But if it's like the last thing you're doing, like on a belt, the last thing I do is put my stamp in it, and it's like great. Now I have this hundred dollar English bridal belt with these you know little corners. So on my um, that's that's one of the reasons I want to redo some of the stamps I have is because there I order them from a cheap place and the 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 brass is like two inches thick, but they're only using like a millimeter to uh drill out like your logo so it's like it's not a very deep impression yeah um and and uh yeah so it's it's these are all just investments i always say like okay like the brass stamps are expensive but they're worth it the 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 clicker dies are expensive but they're worth it because everything just adds quality and uh ups your production value you know it just once you if you're able to turn things around faster that means you could sell it for a little bit cheaper, and that means more people are most likely going to buy it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Even cutting out leather, like it can take so long just to cut, it. and it's and you know, there's been times I think it'd be so good just to have a clicker dice. It's like click, click, click. Well, I mean, it's it's the clicker dice are nice, but you need a clicker first. That's the thing. yeah. So, I, know. I think I think I had my clicker for four months before I had enough money to like even get like a couple of dies. Yeah. Um, and I uh. I, I just have the uh, the four ton hand powered weaver one. Oh yeah, yeah that one. I, I and you know what? Like, could I use the eight ton? Yeah, the eight ton would have been better because you know you you one more power, but two more um, more surface space to do bigger projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, like, I don't mind hand cutting my bags. You know, yeah. the bags are fairly simple. They're mostly square. You know, yeah. It's <laughs> so, it's so as long as you, if you, as long as you outline it right and then have a good long ruler, you're those are those are not too horrible to um, to cut. Um, but all the little intricate pockets and smaller things that go into like the smaller wallets, I nothing beats those the clicker dice for that. Just because I can't count how many times I've um, all my pockets have a little bit of like a a swoopy curve on the top of them, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I can't count how many times I've come around and just cut right through the pocket because oh, yeah. I slipped. And I'm like, great. Now I got now I've wasted leather and I, you know, I've cut my hand or something, you know. And so those the the I think the the clicker dies that I use the most are definitely just the wallet pockets. Yeah. Um and and then what I try to do is I try to redesign all my other products to use the same dies mm-hmm. so i don't have you know 25 different pocket dies you know um and that that was also like a a, a good thing for me to uh to do also because it, it made it um it made it so much easier to expand my product line by using what i had yeah if that makes sense um because yeah. so many people want to you know, so many people want to have so many different products, and and that's something I'm actually coming back from. I my my website's closed now because I'm redoing my whole uh, business, but um, you know, that's something I'm trying to do is like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on making like eight things. Yeah, and I'm going to get really good at making those eight things, and those eight things are only going to be available in three colors. And, yeah, <laughs> and then if people want more, I will expand more. But for now. I'm going to find the eight things that sell the best and I'm just, that's what I'm going to make. You know, when I first started my, this business, 
I wanted to make anything and everything. You know, yeah. I, I was I was really a custom shop. Whatever you wanted, I'll make for you. You know, I've made, you know, eight hundred dollar backpacks. You know, and then I've but then I've also made, you know, small yellow yellow leather keychains. You yeah. know, and it's like like whatever you whatever you need. I've made firemen um, firemen uh, helmet shields. Oh um, really? Out of yeah. I mean that was it. Yeah, there's so the uh, a lot of the firemen out here. I don't know if, and how they are in Australia, but out here, they're, they're, the the those shields on the top of their he- uh, helmets are made out of leather. Um, but yeah, they're I usually use uh, two or three layers. Um, there's a couple of photos if you go way back on my Instagram, you can see a couple of them. Um, I I, only, I mean I only made like four or five total. I I, I wouldn't say that I'm a I was a, you know a professional at it. But the thing with those is you know you gotta hand paint them. You know, because a lot of a lot of people want like the American flag on them, or like a four leaf clover, or some type of symbol, um, and so they want them all hand painted. So, learning your tactile skills on that was uh, was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but it just got to a point where, like, when you when you're trying to be good at everything, you kind of become good at nothing. You yeah. know, unless you have a team working for you that you're like, okay, you're the belt guy, you're the bad guy, you're the wallet guy, you know. And me, I'm a one-man operation working out of a ten by ten spare bedroom in my house, you know. Yeah. So, so it's it's uh, I've got I've got my work table on one side. I've got two sewing machines, and I just ordered a leather splitter that's going to be here next week. And um, and so like you know, there's no room for anyone to come help me with this. So I had to realize, okay, if I if I'm going to bring back this business, um, in in with the same time as keeping my other businesses going, I got to make sure that everything I'm doing is the it's the things that are going to sell. It's the things that are going to um, bring in money because what's the point of making 50 wallets in a style that nobody wants? Yeah, you know. Yeah, actually, just quickly going back to those brass stamps because I recently got my logo done with a brass stamp and it just makes such a huge difference. Like when you, when when you have a plain wallet. And then when you have a wallet that's stamped with your logo, it's just a completely it, different It's thing. so interesting. Do you get this? Do you get people who like want to make sure that your logo's on it? No, 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 no. I've, I've had people I've had people be like, Your logo's gonna be on the wallet, right? Oh, wow, and I'm okay. like, Yeah. Like, of course, it's my wallet. I, I made it. Of course, my logo is going to go. Like, okay, good. For me, I try to keep it simple. You know, I actually like to keep all my stamps on the inside of my products. I try not to like have them on the outside. So my wallets on the exterior is almost never yeah. I have a stamp. I mean, I used to when I was when I first started. But now I just put my little bear logo on the inside of the pocket. And that's it. Like, I don't I don't really. Hey, man, they, they know who they got it from. You know, they, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I put my business card in there. They know they know who where they got it from. They don't yeah. have to. You know, but um, but the one thing I am excited about is um, branding my bags though, because the bags are different. I feel like you know wallets they're in your pocket. Nobody's really seeing them, but um, you know having a nice gold oh yeah uh, oil press on like an outside pocket of a bag with like your name and your and your and your, the name of your company and your insignia yeah that's what i love about the gold foil stamps like and the heat presses they're so satisfying like it goes down and just like I, clicks uh, and i've just, never like... done them i've always pressure i've always pressure stamped all my stuff i've never done a heat and so um oh no that's not true i used to 
I used to hold my brass stamp with a glove on and use a heat gun. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the way you can do it. <laughs> and then and then I'd put it on an arbor press and I'd just press it in a like, very lightly. But after a while, that got very um, I got very annoying to do. So I just once I got the four ton press. Uh, so either I either press it with pressure or if it's a veg tan, I just use water and press it in um, with the water for the press. Yeah. But I'm excited about heat because it's like you just have it on and boop, no matter what the leather is, as long as the temperature is correct, yeah. you know, you could you can emboss it fairly easily. Yeah. Do, do those brass stamps, do they, would they be able to take heat? Because I know that there's like different stamps, like there's stamps made of, out of like magnesium to make the heat yeah. So, so brass, um, the good thing about brass is it, it, it warms up fairly fast okay. and that's why I like brass. Um, and that's why most, most of these heat presses use brass, um, because they, they retain heat and then they, they heat up fast and then they lose heat fast. So it's really nice because you could just like pop them off after a couple of minutes of it resting and it's no longer hot. Um, I, I can't say that I know much about the magnesium ones. Um, no. I know a lot of I know for a while a lot of people started moving away from brass because the thing with brass is it's such a soft metal that um if you if you're like at a high production man those those they they could they could eventually like you know warp a little bit or you know chip but I've had mine for 5 years and they look exactly the same when I ordered them you know mm-hmm. And um, and I only have uh, the brass ones in my actual like bear logo and like my bear claw leather name. You know, all the other ones I use. Um, I there's a. I want to say he's in Texas. Um, I buy my uh, my 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 plastic. Um, when, so if somebody if if I, if I get a if I get a job with a business. Um, I don't tend to buy the 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 the, uh, the stamps in brass because it's so expensive. So I work with this guy out in Texas. Um, I am really upset that I'm forgetting his name because um, <laughs> I I work with him fairly often. It's Greg. Oh, Turner Leather Stamps. Turner Leather Goods or Turner Leather Stamps. His name is Greg, and. Um, he makes he he uses the CNC machine yeah. to make stamps out of um, like plastic blocks. So you know if I get so I I work with um, a couple of companies. Uh, um, it's a it's a, an American business. They they sell like T-shirts and stuff, but the the um, T-shirts, pants, and they they have some. Um, le- I'm the leather guy, so like I make them leather keychains. They have lifting straps they use, um, and you know, to, to buy stamps for stuff like that out of brass, you know, it's going to cost them so much money. So I just get them in a plastic and I use my, my press, um, to, to put them in. And it's so much cheaper if you're using something like veg tan to just use something like a plastic, um, uh, stamp over brass. Cause you know, when you're, when you're talking about a big stamp, that's going to cover like a keychain or something, you're talking about like almost probably $200 to get out of brass versus 50 bucks to get it out of uh plastic mm. and it's just as durable yeah you know um and so you know as as a as a as a leather worker who is open for wholesale accounts you just have to be mindful on saving your customer money as well yeah. you know 
Because if they're like, what's this? If, if you get once you give them a a, a, a uh, an itinerary with everything kind of broken down, and they're like, why am I paying four hundred dollars for stamps? You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're they're not gonna be too happy with that. So, um, yeah, Turner Leather Works. He 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 does great work. Um, he's uh he's also on Instagram and and all that jazz. He does. I've I've been buying my stamps for him for years. Even and and, and even if it's just like a custom order from like a, a local business who you know oh we want coasters or oh we want mouse pads you know yeah if you if you uh if you don't have uh the money to spend on you know high metal stamps you know there's nothing wrong with i think they're called like deslin or dustlin i, I forget the yeah. actual material of it um but yeah he does really high quality crisp stamps and it's also nice because then you can just throw them in a box and, you know, you don't have a 5,000-pound box full of brass stamps. You just have, you know, a 10-pound box full of plastic yeah. stamps. <laughs> Is it, it, what's his name? I'll look him up on Instagram. Turner. I think it's Turner Leatherworks or I believe it's Leatherworks. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I was thinking when I was looking through your profile um, to be, get to know a bit about you. And I saw those those coasters that you did and those other ones, and I was thinking, how do you like, how do you get these stamps of these these companies? So, I so all my coasters are 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 done through stamps with Turner Leatherworks. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, coasters. I mean, it, coasters are great. Actually, um, do you know Primo for Primo Leather? He's kind of stepped away from leather work and is doing more graphic design work, but he still works with a lot of leather workers, uh, he, which is really nice doing uh, either logo design or like shirt designs for leather workers and stuff like that. He's a really good guy to know. Um, and I think his, uh, his pricing is pretty fair, actually, for the skill level that he has. Yeah. Um, for, for such a skilled graphic designer, and his turnaround rates is actually not too horrible either. Um, he's a he's a good option if, uh, if you want to work with a leather worker specifically. You know, I have I have my local graphic designer friends and stuff like that to help me with my logo work and stuff like that. But he's a good guy if you need like from the bottom up work. You know, he'll give you a huge package worth of stuff for you know a couple hundred bucks. Uh, yeah. He's a really good guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the 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 doing coasters is a really good way to bring in some money just because it's like, you know, it's a nice little gift to give someone. So around the holiday season, I always try to push coasters, um, to businesses, local businesses. Um, like with your, then, uh, with, with your stamp on it or with their stamp on it? I would, I would, I would ask them, I, I would do a custom, custom work. So it would be their logo or a design that's incorporating for them, you know? So what thickness that, of leather do you need for coasters? Cause I got some, um, I made a, a custom pipe roll for someone like uh-huh. quite a while back. So I got, and I just literally just used it for the, the pipe roll. And I, and cause I don't really like, I don't, I don't, it's more of like a rustic looking leather and I'm, that's not really my style. So and I, and I was thinking, oh, it'd be good just if I just made a bunch of coasters with it. But how, yeah. like how thick should coasters so, be? I, I would say like you, there's nothing wrong with using like five, six ounce. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's got to be like 10 to 12 ounces. It's got to be like heavy belt leather. Man, like I, I've seen I've seen people use thin leather and then just glue it on thicker leather and then 
and then they cut it out and then they just give a nice stitch around it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it all just depends. I've, I've seen people put really thin leather on cork, you know, they've, they've just glued on cork and then they just like, you know, okay, I hope the glue doesn't come off cause I'm not stitching into cork. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but like, if you use something like barge, there's no way that's coming off. You know, that stuff is lifetime proof, especially if you're only using your inside the house coasters, you know? Um, but yeah, I think I think the ones I made for the wedding were, I would I went to Tandy and I just had what they were available and they were it was heavy. I think I was I think the, the coaster I showed you was like twelve ounces. Yeah, it looks thick. It was, That's why I asked. <laughs> no, no, it was way too thick, brother. I'm telling. Like I remember, I was getting married and I was like, I finished them like three days before the wedding and my shoulder was still hurting because I was using the four ton clicker uh weaver press to click these out and i was like man i am like i am exhausted and my shoulder was hurting like three days later at at uh standing at the end of the aisle waiting for my wife to come down. Wow. <laughs> so the next time i did them i used i think six ounce leather and it was perfectly fine yeah. you know the, the clicker just went right through it like butter yeah um so yeah, I mean, I don't. You don't need it to be super heavy duty. I think you know anything five six ounce would be perfectly fine for coasters. Because like I said, you're putting a glass on it. You're not. It's not holding up a shelf. You yeah. know. <laughs> well, that yeah, that coaster probably could. You put two, like two of them. Yeah, that's. I, we keep it down here uh, to to throw at burglars if they break into our oh, yeah. house. Oh Take yeah, like, off. yeah, like when you when you burnish your edges, like. You know, they, they get uh -huh. solid because, you know, you're putting water on them so it, it hardens up to leather. I, I, I don't know if you're supposed to burnish the edges of coasters, but I don't. I just cut them and stamp them and throw them in a pile, you know. I don't I don't, I don't go that fancy with it. I, I've seen some beautiful coasters out there with people are like, you know, these square coasters with stitching and these intricate stamp work all around it. And I'm like, man, like those better be 50 bucks for a pack because that looks like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like you're... I guess the customers who you sell to, pretty much, it's just some people like the rustic look. Some people want the yeah, I mean, and like I don't think my coasters are in incredibly rustic. They're I, they have a I um Greg always puts a um a ring in the stamp that I make. He always puts a ring around it so it could catch any condensation coming off of oh, the, uh, the yeah. I mean that, and that's something he told me. He was all he's like, oh yeah, man, make sure you put a ring in your actual design because that'll actually catch the condensation. So it's not just rolling off your glass, off the coaster and onto your wooden table. And I was like, wow, that's a uh, really smart. And every single coaster that I have that I look at that has that ring, there's no watermarks outside of the ring. So yeah. the ring works, you know? So like, um, and, and it's just little things like that because I see so many people have coasters and I'm like, oh, that doesn't have a, a little ring. And, I, you know, I live in New England where it can get really humid in the summertime. So, like, maybe in other places it's not that big of a problem. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, I um, coasters are if, – if you've got someone who wants them, man, they're, and, and they're great gifts for uh, for Christmas and stuff like that too. Uh, that's the thing I sell the most around Christmas time is, like – because I kind of – they're kind of – I sell them in these uh, little tins that hold five of them. And I sell I sell the tin of them for twenty five bucks, you know, and uh, you just throw them in somebody's stocking, you know, get it. 
Yeah. So so about five dollars each. And actually, I think I, I think I might sell them for twenty dollars when you buy them by the case. Because some people just want one, and I'll sell them for five bucks. But if you buy a case of five of them, it's twenty bucks. So you it's basically buy four get one free, and then you have a nice little uh, storage tin to keep them in. Yeah. You know. How do you do? How do you like? Because that's the thing. Because with leather work, there's so many different avenues. Like you got like, um, like made to order, um, sell to retail. Um, oh, what's it called? Like wholesaling, I guess. So right. how, how do you, like, when you partner with a business, like do a collaboration, how do you sort of split the costs where you're making money, they're making money on like something like so roasters? I, so, it, it, so it depends. And for me, there's two ways that I've done it in the past. One way it's where they want to buy my product, the it's a bear claw leather product, and they want to sell it in their space. Yeah. Right? So they're like, I like your keychains. <laughs> I like this specific wallet and I want to sell it in my store. And that the way they do that is you just buy it at wholesale price, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's usually a percentage that I'll sell it off and then I just request that you sell it at the same price that I sell it myself on my website. So they'll still make money off of it, but if it's my product that it has a bear claw leather stamp on it, it needs to be sold at the same price that I sell it because I don't want people to go to your store and buy it from you at a discounted price or at a higher price. Now the other thing I do is I don't really know what to call it, but I basically I so I I make leather products for other companies that aren't that don't specialize in leather so that's my where i make the keychains and i make the leather lifting straps with um with that he basically tells me what his cost needs to be right so he tells me i need these to be around you know this much money in order for me to make money you know because he'll usually sell it for close to double what he buys it for me. So I have to give him – and also the fact that you know he buys them in bulk. You know He's buying 50 pairs of lifting straps at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's 100 individual straps. I have to cut, stamp, stitch, and you know, bevel and all that stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a good amount of stuff that he's buying. Um, so I have to basically – give him a little bit of a better price than my wholesale price in order for him to make money. But he's also buying so much more than most wholesale people buy for me. You know, when I sell wholesale, my own products, they're usually buying, you know, like 20, 30 items, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, Matt's buying 50 to 100 of these one things. So I'm able to give him a, a better price per item in order for him to make his profit margin and I'm still getting a good chunk of money up front, you know? So you have to, you have to play your, um, you have to build that relationship, you know, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things where like I've built a great relationship with them. And if they need anything out of leather, they come to me first, you know? And, and that's, and that's really what the name of it when if you want to get into like any type of this commercial i like to call it like commercial leather work you know what i mean mm-hmm. when you're just working with these other bigger businesses and i wouldn't say that's like my specialty at all you know that is not what i specialize in um 
I sell way more of my own personal stuff than I ever do doing commercial stuff. But I like people to know, yeah, like if you need something, I'm willing to do that. And that's usually where I'll spend most of my time doing the custom work. Um, I don't, I'm trying to step away from the custom work for the individual sales, but if it's a big wholesale account or if it's a, if it's a larger order, like if somebody wants, you know, 35 keychains and they want them all to be like a specific saying on it or something that I have to buy a stamp for, then like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for sure. But if you want one keychain, you know, and you want it to have this design on it, I'm like, look, man, like it's, this is going to be a hundred dollar keychain because I have to order the stamp. I have to, you know, like, like, like all that stuff costs money and I'm, and I'm not eating that cost. You know, all the stamps are bought by the customers and it's their decision if they want it to be in their order or not. Like I'll send you the stamp. You paid for it. And most of the time people say, I'll oh, hold on to it just in case I want to, you know, order, order something else with the same design. And I say, okay. And I have a, I have a drawer full of stamps that I've used over the past five years. They're just, sitting there because half the time or i'd say like 90 percent of the time they don't come back to get another order with the same design but i've had some other people be like hey remember you made me that wallet and you put that design on it can you make me another wallet with that design i say sure and this time the wallet's cheaper because they don't have to pay for the stamp yeah yeah so so you because i i struggle with that idea because you know how especially with wholesale pricing because just say if you have a wallet that you that you make for like 90 dollars that's Australian, not US. Right. And because that's like, that's enough for your own pro- profit. But then if someone wants to wholesale it from you, you're just like cutting your profit profit in half. So it's like, how do you manage to... So that's why I have minimums. Okay. You know, that's why I have a minimum order for the wholesale, you know? Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to okay. take a wholesale order. At, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. You know, if you, if you batch them out. So I always say, you know, like, I can make one bifold wallet like a traditional bifold with six pockets six card slots two hidden pockets in the bill section correct i can make one of those in i don't know start to end five six hours if i had nothing else to do but if i batch out 10 of them i could do 10 in eight hours yeah you know so so i always get paid for my time you know, my profit margin never goes into my time. My profit margin is, is something totally different. So okay. no matter what, I get paid for my time. Okay. And then, so sure, you, you do cut a little bit on your cost on the profit end. But at the same time, you're still selling, you know, 10 to 20 wallets. Yeah. You know what I mean? At yeah. once. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot more sense because I think... Yeah, because when you're making multiple things at time at, at a time, you can like, you know, glue it and then like, but then do the other thing, and, and then when it dries, that's exactly what I do. That's exactly what I do. Okay. I literally, I cut out all my pockets at once. I cut out all my interiors at once, and everything gets like the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Okay. First layer, glue all of them, all twenty wallets. Glue that first layer of pockets. Stitch all of them. Okay. Now do this. Stitch. Okay, now do this. Okay. So like, it takes longer. It seems like it's taking longer, but realistically, like it's maybe three more hours longer than it would take you to do one wallet. Yeah. Now you take ten wallets. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to do lately. Is like, because I'm trying to 
I'm trying to go through all the leather I have because I'm trying to go to a point where everything I make is out of one style of leather in just three different colors. You know, yeah. I'm tired of the mishmash I have. And, and the only thing different would be like maybe my bags, you know, because the bags you just have you need almost like a whole hide, uh, a whole side to do one bag usually. So, um, you know, but for like my smaller leather goods, you know, I'm tired of having like 35 rolls where I'm like, oh, I remember when I went to a tannery and I saw that and that was cool. And then I just bought it. And it's been living in here for three years. And one day I'll make something out of it. So I'm trying to just get through everything so I could just have every, so I could have a new, a whole new uh, set of leather coming in. But, um, so, so what I'm doing is like, if somebody, if I'm making one wallet, I just make like six or seven wallets at a time now yeah. because I'm just trying to go through what I have. Yeah. That way I have, I have space and, and room for the new wall, the new leather that's coming in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, learning how to batch stuff out, man, that's a, it's a game changer because then you'll always have inventory. Yeah. You know, like never make one thing. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> like, like I almost, I, I almost never make one thing anymore. It's like, oh, somebody ordered a wallet. Ah, I might as well make five of them. Yeah. You know? That that wholesale, that second wallet is sort of cutting into the first wallet anyway, like the same time. Yeah, so let's say let's say that um I sell my bifolds for a hundred dollars, right? And I I have a wholesale account and I'm selling them at a forty percent discount wholesale. Yeah. Right? So I'm selling them now for $60 each. But in order to get the wholesale price, you need to buy 20 of them. Yeah. So that's a good chunk of change. <laughs> yeah, that is. That you're getting paid. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, yeah, my, my aspect of wholesale was, like, they just buy, like, one or two. And it's, okay. Oh, no. That's that's just a regular sale. Wholesale, you've got to have a minimum for wholesale. Okay. You know, I, I almost, I, I, I think... It, it depends on how small the item is as well. Like if it's keychains, my wholesale is like 50 items. Um, but if it's, you know, a bifold wallet that takes a good amount of time to make, yeah, I'll do 10 to 15. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, especially if it's a first order, I'll, I'll go as low as like 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, but I try not to go below 15 to 20 yeah. for, um, for wholesale orders, because at that point it's like, you're not really making money, yeah. you know? Okay. That that initial payment's got to pay for all the all the leather, all your time, all the electricity that you're using. Um, if you're if you have rent to cover, it's got to cover everything, you know. Yeah. So so that's why you know a lot of these big industrial places are like minimum order a thousand pieces. <laughs> like if you want you want to buy a bunch of these screws, like these brass rivets or something, and it's like oh we got to send you a pallet of them because the only way that you're going to get them this cheap. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When like, if you're working with a customer, like a client and they say, make me a coaster out of leather. How do you, do you ask them, Hey, like this is what leather you can choose from. Or do you just, you just pick the leather and everything like that. And then they usually, I'm usually, I just make them out of veg tan, you know, yeah, just, just veg tan shoulders. It's, it's the easiest and cheapest way to go. Um, but I, I, I had this person who wanted like really nice coasters. He was a, he was a luxury guy and he wanted, uh, he wanted his, um, his coasters made out of Chrome XL. Yeah. And I was like, all right, man, like I can do it. Like Chrome XL is, you know, stuffed with waxes and tallow and all this stuff, but it's a very soft tempered leather. 
So I was like, it might be a good idea to like glue it on like, you know, like get like a, 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 a three to four ounce Chrome XL, glue it on like a two to three ounce veg tan, and then like give it a stitch to make it look nicer. And uh, he had a, he wanted a really elegant custom stamp. But like, you know, I'm not charging $20 for five for those coasters. You know what I mean? Those are going to be way more expensive because now you're you're gluing and you're stitching and it just takes more time. Um, and so I'd say so far 99% of the people that have ordered coasters, custom coasters for me, they're cool with just veg tan because it's you stamp it or, or you, you wet it, you cut it, you stamp it. It's just so much easier than having to deal with stuff like Chrome Excel or these Chrome tans that you need heat to emboss the leather, you wow. know? Okay. Um, you can't really, like, I don't care how much pressure you use. Um, eventually, if you only pressure stamp um, Chrome tan leather, eventually it will come up. You know, really? it's just, just no, well, there's no real way to like embed it. If you work that leather enough, you're going to lose that em- embedding. And that's from my experience. I'm sure somebody with a 20 pound, 20 ton clicker press who can like, you know, click these in with pressure with 20 tons of pressure. It's probably a little different than me using a four ton pressure press. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean like if you take a soft chrome tan leather, stamp it, and then you start moving that leather around. It's going to slowly lose the crispness of that yeah. stamp. So that's why I always say, like, if you want a stamp that's going to last with daily use, yeah, just just go with a veg tan. Yeah. All you got to do is, you know, give it a spray with some water, stamp it, and it's basically going to stay crisp, you know? Yeah. So do you know how you said you can get those plastic, st- the plastic stamps? Yeah. Can you get the ones with like a handle that you can actually hammer in? Because I don't have like a clicker ton. I mean a clicker. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I know he said, I know he suggests using like a small little like one ton arbor press. Mm-hmm. And those are fairly cheap. Um, but I'm not sure if he makes them with uh, a handle. That's a good question. I, I, especially now, he now makes them with a very thin, like I think it's like a three eighths um, thickness uh, plastic. Um, so I don't think they're thick enough anymore to actually install a handle onto. Yeah. What's an armor, but I, what's an armor press? What's it called? Arbor press. Sorry. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. A R B O R. I want to say uh, okay. arbor. Rubber press, yeah, you could you could find them in almost any hardware store. The only thing is, like I, so on the bottom, it's got this like little like um, rotating thing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly okay. what it is. Um, on the bottom, it's got this little rotating thing. I just take that off, and I just bought like a, um, I just bought a very thick, durable uh, cutting board to put on there, so I have a nice flat surface. Yeah. But I think you can get. You can get like attachments for them now. You could like get like a clicker press attachment that you can actually that bar that goes down. You could you could screw something onto there that actually turns into like a plate. So you can actually like have a lot more pressure spread over a, a larger space rather than have just that like little one by one rod pushing down. I think this one I think this is one's welded on. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Like you, you're, there's, I mean, you don't have to weld them. There's so many, there's so many attachments. I'm yeah. sure if you like go on eBay and say Arbor press, Ar- Arbor press attachments, there's so many things that you could throw on yeah. that thing. Um, 
and all you do is just like with using like a screw, just tension screw it on. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what I used for the first couple of years of my business. That's how I stamped all my stuff is just using an Arbor press. And then eventually I, I saved up, I want to say about three years ago and got mm-hmm. the, the four time clicker. And that was a complete game changer. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know, I, 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 like I said, I'm in a 10 by 10, you know, spare bedroom. And I'm like, how can I fit 20 ton clicker upstairs? Yeah. <laughs> like how can I fit this 3000 pound piece of machinery? <laughs> Yeah, there's. It, so is that four tons per square inch? Is that what it is? I think it's. I, I, it's a very technical question. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think it's four tons overall. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, over like I think that's like the amount of pressure that you could once it's clamped down. It's a and the that's way that right. the weave four tons. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's no joke. I mean, like they'll they'll and luckily it's got a safety thing where like it won't fully go down um, when, when you fully like, yeah. uh, so like if your hand gets underneath there, you're not crushing it to paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the way I see it is like, you know, safety should be number one, especially in leather work where there's so many knives and, and stuff that could hurt you. Yeah. You know, you, you and that's what I like about those hydraulic clicker presses is because you almost need two hands to operate them. Like, yeah, oh, man, those things are amazing. Those things, because <laughs> um, the, the nice thing about those big ones is, you know, you could you could get a big clicker die for your bag. You can just click out a bag, yeah. like you know. No more measuring, no more tracing, and with time, you know, I I, uh, I always say, you know, you gotta you gotta work with what you have, and and I'm I'm I've started three or four businesses and. I've never started any on credit. Everything's been cash out of pocket. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I I I, I don't like spending money I don't have. Mm. You know? I don't wanna I don't, okay, I've, this is a two thousand dollar splitter that I just bought or three thousand dollar splitter I just bought. I could have easily just put it on a card. But I was like, you know, times are tough right now. I don't wanna have to like, oh, I better make a payment on this. Yeah. I always tell people when you're when you're thinking about doing this stuff, like especially with leather work is because all the all the entry-level tools are so cheap you know with two hundred dollars you can get more than enough tools to buy to 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 work for a very long time especially if you're hand sewing Mm -hmm. um yeah but once you start getting into like once you start wanting to move away from hand sewing and you know the machinery just gets can get really expensive you know four or five dollars sometimes yeah um my first my first sewing machine was the cobra class four and uh you know that that was you know thirty five hundred dollars before shipping wow and it ships from the other side of the country yeah you know because yeah when i first got into leather work i because i'm the type of person where you know like when you get into hobbies and then you fall out of hobbies you know that's where i was like okay i've got into this new um this new you know, hobby. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to slowly, like, uh, slowly buy things over time, as opposed to just like, just buy everything off the bat because. It's, so, uh, you know, and there's been times as well where it's like I find the leather that I like, and then, so I could just order like so much of this leather and just you know, get everything going. But then you know, a week or two weeks later, it's like oh, actually no. I'm, probably not want to use this leather so 
it's sort of like you really have to, I don't know, depending what type of person you are, but I find it's easier to like space things out, especially if it's, like, especially, especially if it's a hobby. No, absolutely. And like I said, you know, like I hand stitched for the first two and a half, three years yeah. of business, you know, like it was two, three years of me just doing everything hand stitched because I couldn't afford a, even, even an entry level machine, um, in decent condition, I couldn't afford it, you know? So yeah. I, I figured save up for the more, the most, one of the most expensive machines that I needed, get that first and at the time, you know, I was doing different things than I am now. So I still have my Cobra Class 4, but, you know, I was able to find a Conso um, sewing machine that was modified to sew through leather. Um, I modified it myself, so I, I, I added a speed reducer into it. It luckily already had a servo motor. So adding the speed reducer onto it was able to uh, triple the torque as well as um, take down the speed by by six times mm -hmm. so it gives you way more control over the machine especially when you're working with leather where every single time that needle goes in that's a hole that can never be filled in again you know it's not like textiles where you're just they're just it's just poking in between whatever is being woven um so it's really important to get a machine that's specific for or at least modified for leather use uh, a lot of people think you just get any other any quote-unquote industrial machine online and oh yeah i could do it with leather as long as i have like a sharp enough needle no like it, it, a lot of these machines are are made to be running like three thousand stitches a minute you know what i mean they're meant to be running like really really fast wow. a lot of them have oil reserves in them because they're literally just running constantly in textiles um so having a machine that is specific for leather work is super important um and so many people will tell you this, that one machine will not do everything. If you're going to get a sewing machine, be prepared to buy another one. You know, you get like my class four is really great for um, bags and and like my my weightlifting belts. When I make them, I don't make them very often. But um, when I do have them, I'm happy to have that machine that's able to go through such a thick piece of leather like butter. Um, and then uh, a, it's great on, you know, my heavy duty belts. But then I have this Conso 206 that um, I believe it's 206. Yeah, I, I just got it a couple months ago, so I'm still trying to remember the, the letters and everything. 206 RB2, I believe. Um, and, you know, I've got the modified feet on it that are smooth on the bottom. So doesn't leave marks on the leather. I, I called Cobra and I got a speed reducer from them. And they helped me um, over the phone, you know, make sure I installed it correctly and all these things. That, and, then, and then so that's now my, you know, my wallet, my small purses and accessory stitcher. And then I've got the big class four that's still going to be like my heavy duty. You know, they call it a harness or saddle stitcher. Um, and, you know, it's great having those two machines that you can go to. You know, and, and, I, and I wish I could tell because everybody always asks me, oh, what's what machine should I get? Well, what do you make most of? Yeah. You know, if you're making heavier duty stuff or things with gussets, um, you're going to need a you're going to need a, uh, a a post arm. And you're depending on how thick you're using, you are gonna need different threads. And some machines don't have large thread capabilities. Some do. And, 
you know, obviously going through, you know, Cobra or Cowboy. I mean, you're down in, uh, you're down in Australia, so it's kind of hard because I'm always, I'm always recommending all these American companies <laughs> and shipping freight uh, out here is probably gonna, be, yeah. It's just the so way, the, the, like, you know, it, yeah, it's just it's mainly the weight of the, yeah, I can't imagine it. And they're all on pallets too, so like yeah. you're gonna need. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't imagine what, what I mean. It costs from California out in the West Coast over to me on the East Coast. It's uh roughly around three hundred dollars freight. So I couldn't imagine what it is shipping it all the way to, you know, Australia. Yeah. Well, because some probably middle of last year, I got a. Uh, I came across this Singer sewing machine, and because mm-hmm. it was mainly for fabric, and it had like a hand crank thing on it. Okay. And I yeah, yeah. and I, I tried to stitch some leather with it, and it, and I thought it was just if you just got if you get a a different needle, that would work. So why is that? Why can't you just switch the needles out for a fabric machine? And so a lot of it has to do with. Um how much torque the machine itself now like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend that i'm a machine expert you know what i mean but to my understanding because i'm i'm one of those people that i read up for a year and a half on a machine before i even buy it you know i want to know day one how i'm gonna use this machine i want to be able to get into it and start using it so i sit there and watch all these videos of people sewing on and i'm like okay it looks like he's doing this look and then a year and a half later, I finally do it, and then day one, I'm sewing. Yeah. Um, so I will say, um, a lot of like, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of these household machines, um, especially the, the new ones, um, they don't have metal gears. They don't have okay. metal crankshaft. A lot of them are meant to be used on very, 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 very thin garment leather, um, like something you would make like a leather vest or something out of you know not, not even like chap leather you can go through it you know um you couldn't use it on a leather that's going to be on um like a sofa like upholstery leather it, that's still too thick for a lot of these machines and, and i'm talking about those plastic little ones that you just put on your kitchen table yeah, this, one isn't, um, this one isn't plastic it's like i think it's like right, the so 30s it, or whatever right, it's like a cast iron <laughs> so the big thing with that is because you said yours was hand cranked so the gear differentials in there, right? The, so the, the the gear ratio is probably once again not strong enough to um, be able to puncture through the density of leather. So, like, take my speed reducer I had to install, right? Before I installed the speed reducer, even if I went really really slow or just hand cranked my new console machine well i say it's new it's probably from the 50s or 60s um but even when i hand cranked it i would see the needle even though it was a brand new needle designed to go through leather right i I would actually see it bend as it was hitting the surface of the leather and then once i once i um put in the the speed reducer which triples the torque it would just go straight through it and so like and when you look at the speed reducer, it's basically you're just adding like a double pulley to the machine. So instead of the machine rotating um, flywheel going straight to the motor, now it's go it's going down to the, to the speed reducer, which has like three different pulleys 
all attached to it. So the machine head goes to the biggest pulley and the smallest pulley goes to the motor. And so for every rotation the motor is going through, it's only doing like a like a, a, a third a, a, a one third rotation from the head. So it's just adding so much torque. Now once again, I'm not an engineer. I'm not <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not um, I'm not uh, smart enough to explain why it works. I'm just relaying the information that I have learned uh, from people who are much smarter than me. Um, and one, the two things that I'm, uh, everyone always says, if you're going to get something to sew through leather, servo digital brushless motor, right? You can pick one up on Amazon for like 150 bucks, replace that clutch motor with a digital one. And then get a speed reducer to go with it. And that speed reducer is, again, going to cost you about $100. So if you're able to find like a, a good singer that everybody always recommends is like a Singer 111, right? Um, if, you buy, if you are able to find a Singer 111, take the clutch motor off, put a digital servo motor on there, and then buy a speed reducer on it, you've basically got a sewing machine with the proper needle that will so up to probably four to five ounces of leather so if you're a wallet maker right that's the perfect machine for you if you make um if you make dress belts that's a really good machine for you if you can find a roller edge guide that'll fit on it well um to make sure you get nice straight seams um but being able to slow down the machine so you can control it and then getting that speed reducer on it so you can get more punch out of it that's what's going to make any industrial machine basically a, a, a pretty good uh, leather sewing machine. But also making sure you have feet, uh, presser feet on it that are smooth as well because you don't want it to mar up the leather. Yeah. So, okay, so a speed reducer is just – because I always thought that a speed reducer just allows you to just like slow down the machine – but it, adds, it does. Okay, and it adds that yeah. extra torque to it so it can... Exactly. Okay. So it's twofold. Okay. So speed reducer, like its name, does yeah. slow it down. So so um, Steve, Cobra Steve from Leather Machine Company, he's the one who owns Leather Machine Company. Um, the way he explained it to me was, depending on the two pulleys that you're able to use, one will slow it down um six times the smallest pulley will slow it down six times but give you triple the torque yeah and then the middle one will only slow it down three times and only like 1.5 the torque Mm -hmm. so it's so you you really do want you know there's no reason to be going through unless you're in like a massive production you know what i mean where like you've got 50 sewing machines going with 50 people on it and they're all and you're all sewing cuz you you are a, a huge worldwide distributor there's no reason to be sewing extremely fast you know like if you want to give your the way i see it is like i'd rather have slow perfect stitches yeah. than try to stitch through things fast and oh i messed this up now i have to figure out either how to fix it or hide it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> or i got to remake it yeah Okay, yeah, because the sewing machines are just so foreign to me, because, um, so, I think, like, the one that would be handy would be, like, a bag one, so why can't you just use that bag one for your wallets and all that, like, if it's a... So, so you can, um, I had my class four, um, for years as my only sewing machine, 
It is very so. The problem with the class four is it's one of the heavier duty sewing machines. So, um, so it, the problem is it's sometimes too powerful for the smaller leathers because usually you're using lighter thread and very thin leather. So, um, usually what will happen is it has just too much power. Um, and even if you loosen up your tension all the way, you're still popping that little, um, knot that's supposed to hide in the middle. You're usually popping it to the surface. So that was my, I've, I learned over years how to set my, uh, machine, essentially trick my machine to work on thinner leathers. But the problem with that is just set, it takes you like 10, 15 minutes to set up your machine that way. You know, you're re-threading, putting in different needles, all that stuff. And then when you have to sew something that you normally would sew, like a tote bag or a heavy duty belt, or, you know, something with a gusset, which is really useful, that post arm that I have on that machine, um, I have to set it up the correct way, quote unquote, the correct way. So, Having, you know, the class four, or my Cobra class four, which, you know, they say the minimum that you're supposed to be using on it is like six ounces, you know, um, six ounces of leather. Do you guys use ounces in Australia? No, we use, for we, we use millimeters, but I'm, I'm quite familiar yeah. with ounces because I've bought from like okay. Rocky Mountain and, uh, right. So I'm, but I'm I'll just check what's, yeah, sorry. I, I have to, I have to keep remembering that the states have weird, uh, non, metric <laughs> ways of, of measuring things well i'm actually quite used to the like so i know like two to three ounce i know four to five ounce like i know the you know two to three is like yeah. 1.2 to 1.5 mil i know how to feel the leather i don't know how thick it is yeah. and i could feel it oh that feels like a two three ounce or oh that feels like a six seven so you, you know um so you don't know so you don't know millimeters at all it's, it's just completely well I, well, I mean, I hate to say this as the ignorant American, but it's not really pushed on us. You know, everything's <laughs> in inches here, um, and it's it's horrible to say. But I I'm I have actually been trying to use millimeters more often. Yeah. Um, just because I'm one of those few people that actually believe that we have to join the rest of the world and and start doing things in in the metric system because it makes one it makes sense and two it's really annoying trying to work internationally with people and all of a sudden like our army uses the metric system because it works our the, the united states military does everything in 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 you know uh kilometers and oh, clicks really? which is yeah, it's, everything's in yeah. the metric system in the military because we have to work with the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but then all of us civilians are like inches and feet, which is the most ridiculous thing. Why are there twelve inches in a foot? I and know, the foot it's... is the it's the foot is the, the 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 length of somebody's foot. What a king's foot! It doesn't make sense to me. But I, you know, I know I what are like, you gonna do? I saw like a diagram, and it's like like. In like, because like a mile is like one point, one point like six or one point five kilometers. It's I like, think it's like, like one, yeah, I think it's like, like one point. There's like an yeah. inch, a, a inch, an inch is such and such a yard. A yard is such and such a mile, and it was just like whereas yeah. the metrics uh, is like 
10, 10 millimeters is a, is a centimeter, 100 centimeters is a meter, 1,000 meters is a kilometer. Right. It's just like... Oh, you mean it's easily divisible? That's amazing. Like... <laughs> so... Yeah, I've, I've gotten really good at um, using uh, metrics for cooking. So, you know, trying to use grams to weigh things out rather than ounces and yeah. stuff like that. Um, you know, using liters over a gallon, you know, yeah. like it doesn't make sense. Like, like roughly, what is it? It's like, it's like roughly 2.2 or maybe it's 3.2 liters is a gallon it's, or 3.3 liters is yeah, a gallon or something. Weird. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. It just, it doesn't make sense. So when, when I'm a, uh, when I'm, I'm, I'm a decent cook, but I'm starting to learn how to bake and baking is a science. It is basically chemistry. Yeah. So if you're off like a gram, your whole recipe could be messed up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and when it's baking, it's like, no, there's a recipe. And if you don't follow the recipe, it doesn't come out the way you want it to yeah. come out. So did you ever in chemistry, did you ever do that thing where the science teacher would put like, I'm not sure if it's sodium or sulfur, that you like put sodium with something and it just makes a huge explosion? So I know that I can't remember. Sodium, uh, some forms of sodium are very volatile when introduced to moisture. So it could have been some type of sodium. Yeah, I think it's sodium. Uh, like sodium nitrate or something like that. I don't know. Because that's basically lye, I think. Like sodium nitrate is basically lye, um, I believe. I don't know. See, I'm not... You see, you you think I'm way smarter than I am, man. You're, you're giving me you're. <laughs> no, because I remember. We, I, uh, I remember like it took me a while to get get out of school. So you're yeah. you're asking the wrong question. Well, I, I thought because you you're interested in chemistry with baking. You'd... Oh, I didn't say I'm interested in chemistry. I'm saying it basically okay. is chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why I'm 30 years old and just recently starting to bake is because <laughs> I'm not very good at chemistry. Yeah. I'm a physics guy, man. Oh, really? Like physics, human body. Well, I mean, I, I have my bachelor's in exercise science with a concentration oh, yeah. in kinesiology. My, uh, my, yeah, chemistry was uh, was always one of those things where I wanted to be good at, but it was just too much maths. Yeah. Was, Way too I much math. I was the opposite. I was good at chemistry, but bad at physics. Like, I wanted to be good at physics, but I just, yeah. Physics just always made sense to me, and I think that's why um, that's why I like leather work, because it's, like, physics and geometry always made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> that's why I really like leather work, because you're taking something that's flat and two-dimensional and figuring out how to add pieces and fold pieces so it's a way that it's three-dimensional and something beautiful so it's a little bit of i feel like it's a little bit of geometry and a a, a lot of bit of art in leather work and as well as like of course the skill of being a leather worker a lot of leather workers um are starting to come around on is like the 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 importance of understanding the traditional ways of doing these things. You know, I'm starting to read a lot of um, books that are intended for fashion leather workers um, because you just learn how to do things in a such beautiful way. Um, But at the same time, when you start making things that way, you're also once again, increasing the 
number of niche tools and um you know like that heating rod to kind of like melt the edge coat onto the edges yeah. of your seams like i was looking into one of those things this thing is expensive and it's like and all it does is crease leather and melt edge coat and yeah. and wax fill fill tooth i think they're called i don't know like like i said i'm yeah, I it's it, out of my world i think oh, it, it, it melts the uh, like the beeswax yeah so you could you could you could use it to um when you put your edge coat onto a seam um onto a onto two pieces of leather that's been you know glued and stitched together and you put the edge coat you can use it to smooth the edge coat so it kind of almost melts into the seam yeah. and gives it a, uh, a a better like uniform look mm-hmm. and then that way when you apply your next coat over it it's kind of like looks better and but that's the other thing with edge coating that I never really got into um, because I could never get it right. And I think it's because they're, they're, a lot of them are really truly designed to be used with heat, yeah. um, whether you're using the, uh, the, the, the heating iron or, um, or doing it manually with a piece of canvas and just rubbing it. Um, I, I was never able to get it right. So now I just – I either just burnish my edges. If it's leather, I'm usually burnishing um, – but I mean, if it's a, if it's veg tan, but then if it's if it's chrome tan, I'm usually just painting over them with a, with um some just leather dye and then and then sealing them up with uh with beeswax. I'm not I'm I'm not using edge coat. I like that plastic edge coat stuff. Maybe eventually if I somebody was willing to teach me how to use it better, but I can never get it to look the way I want. It always just kind of looks like bubble gum, chewed up bubble gum to me. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's why I prefer this using the stains compared to the edge coat because it, yeah. you know, cause you, there's like a there is a technique there is there's like a technique to use it because you have to like let it dry and that's the other you know, thing. It's, it's like a, there's so much wait time to yeah. to do it right. And I think like I think it cracks as well. Like it could can crack in the future, like with the bending. Yeah. So it's like I just and rather I've, just stain where it just gets straight into the leather and then you yeah the leather no no died. one. 100% I agree with that um and and that's I remember like when I was a kid and I had my first leather belt and I had this belt for years I think I had it up until I was like I bought it when I was like 14 or 15 I think I had it until I was almost 20 um for and you know for a Walmart belt that's uh that's pretty good you know <laughs> to have it for that long I feel like um and I remember like I didn't know at the time but like it was just all this plastic was peeling off of it. I'm like, what is this? And now that I'm a leather worker, I'm like, oh, I remember when that happened. That was the edge coat. And after years of using it, it just started peeling and cracking right off. And um, so I think I think edge coats are really good if you have like a very structured bag or a structured wallet that's not going to have a lot of flex. Um, but if you're like you just like you said, if you have anything that has a flex, like a like belts or um, or like a very um, a very soft tempered tote bag, I think edge coats not the way to go. I, I agree with you. Just using a stain or a dye on the edges um, and then burnishing them and fi- finishing them up, I think that's definitely the way to go for anything that's going to to prevent any possibilities of cracking or anything like that. Yeah. It looks beautiful though. Like I, yeah. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. I love um, 
I love leather shoemakers when I watch their stuff on uh, YouTube. Or, and my, it's so funny because my, my, mm. my wife always makes these jokes about, oh, boy, like, I'm going to come home one day. And you're going to have a leather shoe machine, you know, like, <laughs> like, like you're going to start making leather shoes. And I'm like, oh, man, you can't just that's 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 stuff you got to go to school for. You can't just pick that up. It's like it's almost like being a tailor. You know, you have to you have, to have someone train you for years how to how to do all those things. You know, it's what we do is easy. I feel like we're we're like you know yeah wallets belts bags that's that's all easy stuff. Shoes no way that's that's skill that's training. <laughs> well, because well, I'm I'm interested in shoemaking as well, and it's interesting because like as you get into leather work. Some of the things actually make sense when you look at how the shoes are made. Like, huh. you know, like a welt makes sense, you know, like the right. lining, the cork, the... It kind of all makes sense. Like, it's one of those things, like, I've seen, I've seen like, shoemaking videos, and it's like, oh, yeah, I understand, like, the concept, like, how it works, how you pull the leather, like, over the last, etc. But it's like, oh, doing right. it would be a, another story. <laughs> Imagine having to make all those lasts yeah well, you know like, like last sh- mate well last making is a separate like skill as well so right exactly um, leather work always has a uh no no matter what you're doing the techniques are always the techniques you know the basics are always the basics just like you said you know um how you're putting the the leather together the paneling uh, the stretching it over the last the 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 putting the Goodyear welt on it you know um all these things make sense if you're if all you do is make things out of leather you're like oh yeah it makes sense because then you can you know if you use that welt you can resole it you know like yeah. of course why would it like that rather than just glued on and the minute it starts peeling away hmm. you gotta throw the whole shoe away yeah. Um, I was at a, I was in a museum the other, the other day, and just like looking at the stuff, like the boots and all that sort of stuff, and that's that's one of the good things about leather work because it's been going on for you know all of human history pretty much, you know like shoes, yeah. shoe making and all that. So you, it's not like it's a skill that's been around like you haven't need they haven't had to have you know, all this machinery to make shoes. Like, people have been able to make them. So that's the beautiful thing about it, that it's it's not out of our reach as opposed to, you know, making rockets. <laughs> yeah, some things are... Uh, and, and that's the other thing is also, it's, it's really nice to be able to make something that, one, you know, you use your own hands and your time. Even if you're using a, a, a sewing machine... You're still using your hands. Mm. You're still using your body to run that machine, you know? Um, and so, like, you know, I think we we talked about this earlier where, like, a lot of people are, oh, the minute you start using machines, it's no longer handmade. Come on, man. Like, of course it's handmade. I made it with my hands. It's handmade, you know? Um, next thing you're going to tell me that I have to use, like, a flint rocked as a knife. I can't use carbon steel blades because then it's not considered, like, hand cut. Like, no. Like, I, I do have to tear the leather by, with my teeth in order to cut it myself. <laughs> as technology improves, I'm going to use what's the best technology to make my stuff. And and But if I – sometimes, man, I just want to make something – and I feel like hand stitching. 
So I'll literally make one of my wallets hand-stitched, and it feels good, and I love doing it. But then I remember why I moved to machines, because of how long it takes me to do it. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, like there is value in handmade wallets. And sometimes I've had clients say, hey, I'll pay you double, triple to make this hand-stitched, and I want to be able to pick out my thread color. And I say, okay, like if you're willing to do that, I I've had a couple of clients do that where everything I make for them is hand stitched, obviously within reason. Um, sure. There are people hand stitching bags out there. I don't want to hand stitch another bag in my life. I've done it. It was awful. Uh, it was also my fault that the first bag I did had like a million pockets and I had to hand stitch every single thing. And it was a huge messenger bag and it was aligned a line shoulder strap so it had to be two pieces glued together and I stitched the whole thing and ever since then I'm like yep I am never hand stitching another bag for the rest of my life yeah there's people out there hand stitching belts and I don't understand how they're making money because it took me like two days to hand stitch a belt <laughs> well a couple things because firstly yeah I, I think the more I've um I think educated myself on the realities of a business, like the machine sort of side of it does make a lot more sense, so to speak. It's a huge debate, I guess, like how like how far do you have to go until it isn't ha like handmade, if that makes sense. And um, I mean, the, the way I see it is as long as you're the one holding the knife, cutting it, as long as you're the one putting the glue on it, as long as you're the one sewing it and polishing it and cleaning it up and conditioning it before it's sent out it's handmade yeah i would say that like even if you're clicking out all the panels it's still you're still the one running everything but the minute you start going into like you know cad cam where it's a computer a computer assisted design where you push a button and a machine cuts everything out for you and all you're really doing is like hand assembling things onto machinery and the machinery is just taking over which should be told you know i don't even think we're at that point now i think i think even the bags that you see um at you know these bigger department stores and and stuff like that they have a little bit of handmade on them because there's people running those sewing machines you know what i mean so but let's but you know truthfully that might be the only aspect of it that it is touched by a human hand you know everything else might be machine cut machine assembled and then somebody is just you know, because I know there's machinery out there that I'll just, you know, you, you tell the computer where to put the glue and it'll put the glue exactly where it needs to be. And, and then the other piece of fabric or leather goes right on it. You know, that's, that's but, you know, it's got to reach somebody's hand at some point. But I really don't think if you're a one person operation, I don't think you're at that point where you have to worry that this isn't handmade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> if you're, if you're. If you're cutting everything out yourself, even if you're using a clicker, if you're if you're assembling it by hand, if you're doing it by with your own hands, and you're the sole person in this business that's doing it, and even if you have three or four people working for you, like it's still, I would say it's still considered handmade. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Like yeah. Because, like you said, it's just you know. You need to be cutting down like the tree to make your wood handle, and then get a stone to yeah, make, and then right. use a sharpening stone to make a blade. It's like, it. I guess like yeah, it's 
at the end of the oh yeah, it's kind of. I mean, black. I feel like there's this hierarchy with even blacksmiths. There's blacksmiths that use, you know, power hammers and like propane forges, and there's people who are still swinging a hammer on an anvil and using coal. And some people say, oh, you're not a real blacksmith unless you're doing everything with, a, a, you know, five pound hammer and an anvil and you're using a coal forge where you have to crank the air through it yourself or use like a bellow to push the air through the fire to make it more hot. And then there's people out there like, no, nah, man, I've got like, you know, 14 knives to make today. I'm going to use my propane forge, which is effect efficient and you know, it, it, it holds heat exactly where I need it to be. You know, th- once technology gets to this point, like, I feel like those arbitrary rules of what is handmade, what is the right way of doing it, as technology goes on, all of these, all of these um, artisans or, or artisanal crafts, I would say, artisanal skills, um, they evolve with it, you know? Um, we're no longer, you know, have to make our own glue with, you know, <laughs> bone marrow and, well, I've and made, I've, made, I've, I've made my own glue before. <laughs> yeah. How, how was that? Do you want to keep doing that for the rest of your career? Like, <laughs> it goes off. or do you want to just, or do you want to just use barge or, or a water-based adhesive that comes bottled up and ready to go and ready to use, you know? So I was using like the pills, like, and, um, what I found was it. Uh, like when it dries, it's it's very stiff and it will like start cracking. Like when, especially with, yeah. like, with a belt. Like I made a lined and raised belt and I put made, made it with pearl glue, and to like bend the belt, you'd hear the cracking of the glue. So I just use like a white glue now. Like yeah, I, I can't use I can't use barge. Oh man, I used barge for the first three years. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know and how you do it. I... Every time I I had to glue up something like a belt or something, I was like, okay, like, get ready <laughs> for the fumes. <laughs> yeah. Because somebody at one point told me, oh, this is the only thing you should use. If you want your stuff to last forever, this is what you use. And then more and more people I'm watching are using, like, the white leather glue, um, Aqualim 315. That's what I use. Yeah, yeah, I got- uh, I got that, and that gave me a bit of like head, like a huge headache when I used it once, and I was like, not using it ever again. Wait, Aqualim did? It yeah. has no smell. Well, that's the thing. That's why I bought it, and I don't know if I, because I'm like, I want to make sure that whatever I, because when I first started, like, I remember the first time I got this like barge sort of. I'm not sure if it was a barge. I remember opening it one time, and I was just like, nah, I'm never making anything ever again out of it. I made it like a wallet. But yeah, I bought that Aquilium 315 and, you know, because, yeah, it does, you know, it has a reputation of, yes. like, not smelling. Water. Maybe yeah. you got a bad batch because mine, I've had, I bought a big, like, I think it was, like, almost like a gallon of it. Yeah. And, and I keep some in a little squirt bottle for, like, little seams. Yeah. And then I, and I have, like, a little dispenser thing with a, um, with a, a, a it, it's like a rubber brush. So if I ever want to like switch out brushes, it's really easy to clean it off because I just let the glue dry and peel it off mm-hmm. the rubber or vinyl, whatever it is. And, um, and, and yeah, man, I have like, I've, I've, I've glued up some big panels, 
and I've never smelled anything off of that, so yeah. I'm surprised that problem with it. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I've um, yeah, I remember I used it, and I had like a huge headache. Like it just felt like I had to lay down on the couch. I was, but yeah, some people say that they so don't. What do you use now? So I've just, I've, I use this craft glue that I use. It's from a, it's a made in Australia. Like I've, it's called Tiger Grip, and it works like fine. It mm-hmm. um. You know, you have to make sure you get it consistent because it can like peel apart. But right. it's um, if you let it dry, it it's pretty good. So oh, I'm wondering, um, yeah, because that's that's the whole reason I feel like a lot of people go to these water-based yeah. adhesives because it doesn't have any fumes. So it's very fascinating that you were maybe you just have very something something in your system is very sensitive to it or something. Yeah, well, I think I've heard people like reviews. People say like oh, it's so good, no fumes, etc. And it works for them, but yeah that's a shame sorry but, to hear but, that. but it works it's it's such good glue though like i've used it one time and it it was solid <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny because i found out actually like not too long ago like within the past year that i've been using it wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't realize that it was also like a contact glue so like you're sp- like what you're supposed to do with barge where like you coat both sides yeah let it tack up a little bit and then put it in contact with each other I've just been like kind of pushing them in contact, kind of wet for each with while they're still a little wet, mm-hmm. and waiting for it to like take hold. So like, that's kind of funny. I've been doing it like wrong, but it still works fine. So yeah. I'm not too worried about. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I see. Like you know, they heat up the glue and then they put it together. Yeah, I've seen people use a heat gun. Yeah, I, think, I don't know if that's speed up the drying process yeah. or something, but. I, I always thought that was interesting. I've seen some people um, use a heat gun for that. I was like, oh, I have a heat gun. Maybe I'll start doing that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, I've made my own, like, dyes. Well, I remember I, I tried to make my own dye um, before because I remember I was using Feebings and that stuff was just like, oof. So I was like, no, I'm going to, like, try and make my own dye and boiled a bunch of blueberries, but I didn't go very well. Uh, I, went... I, have, I wonder if you would you'd probably do very well in the um, recreationalists world <laughs> no, because a lot of those people want authentic stuff so they want things that are like dyed with the dyes that they would have naturally been used in that time um, I have some friends that do um, reenactments uh, and I know some people who are like you know, like Viking reenactors and, you know, they've asked me to make turn shoes for them, you know, where, and, and, um, and like they've sent me, they've sent me like videos on how to make them authentically and how to use like, uh, authentic sinew for, for stitches and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. And, and like a lot of these people want stuff that have been like dyed the proper way and, and they're willing to pay big money for it. So, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to reach out to like uh, your local reenactor groups and somebody's in need well, for like uh, what for for authentic stuff. I, uh, I've stepped, I've stepped away from uh, from hand dyeing my my stuff a while ago. I just buy I just buy things in the color I want to sell things in. I don't. I got so tired of like inconsistent. Uh, absorption of the dye and yeah, stuff and then yeah it does oil dyes the oil dyes always um penetrated better but the way that it smells yeah after it it's 
cured. I feel like it smells like fish oil. Okay. Um, and and for some reason, nobody else thinks it smells like fish oil. <laughs> um, but like I, my my wife's wallet that she uses, um, I hand dyed that because I made it for her so long ago, back when I wasn't buying my leather pre dyed and pre finished. Um, and even even to this day, when I give it its annual condition. And I smell it, and I'm like, yeah, it just smells like fish oil to me. And she's like, I don't smell a thing. I don't know. She's like, I think it smells just like leather. And I'm like, no, it smells like the cured dye smell. Like, it doesn't have that, like, leather smell that I love. Um, it sort of smells so like, it, it's co- like, it's like cod oil. I sort of, I can, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you smell it too. Okay, because, like, <laughs> I say it. Everyone's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I don't think I'm crazy. I think it smells like oil. Um, but, uh so yeah, if I if I do use um, dyes now for my edging, I do use Phoebings and I use their um, I use their water based dye yeah, for well, the edges. Yeah, what, are, what what's that like? I like it. So for my black, I use the USMC black. So it's their United States Marine Corps black. It was uh, so the United so Phoebings before they came out with this. Their black was basically just a really, really dark navy. It had a little bit of a bluish tint to it. And the United States Marine uh, Marine Corps um, wanted them to make a dye for their boots, but they wanted true black, right? They wanted as black as black comes because these are going on their shoes and on their dress shoes that they're going to have to polish up for, you know, when they wear their dress uh, dress uniform. And... Um, and so when Phoebe's came, this is the, so to my understanding, this is the blackest black that you can buy in leather dye. Um, and it is black, my friend. <laughs> like it is, you do not want this to touch anything. You do not want black. Uh, uh, you, if a drop of it touches the carpet, it is, it is just not coming out. It is, it is a permanent void on that carpet. <laughs> um, and so I have these, um, these little these markers that I got on Amazon. Uh, actually, I reached out to Parker from um, Stock and Barrel years ago because I saw him using it in one of his videos, and I reached out to him through Instagram. I was like, "Hey, man! Like, I saw this video. You're using this like marker. What is that? I think it's called like a Montana marker or something." He sent me the link to uh, Amazon to buy them, um, and it comes in a pack of three, and they're empty, and they have a big like felt tip yeah it's like a rectangle Um, yeah it's like a chisel tip that you'd see on like a crayola marker or something and then you could like push it down and it opens up a little uh void inside the marker that allows the dye to penetrate through the felt tip um and and you could open it up and you could refill it so that's what's nice about it so you can have one that's black one that's brown and then you have a third one for whatever else that you want it for. Um, I've seen some people like water down their gum track and put it in there, which I think is weird because I don't know how that would work. Um, but because the whole point of gum track is for it to be thick and kind of sticky for it to burnish. But I've seen some people water that down and put it in. I don't I don't know. I've seen some people um, use it for um, for like their, their sealer. Um, so if you have like a, a, a finisher, if you, when you hand dye, you, you, you didn't seal off. I've seen people fill that up for, with that, but for, I, th- I think a dauber works perfectly fine for that. I don't need that. Once again, don't see why you would want to complicate it more than that. 
But um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, how there's so many people in this industry that are willing to help you out. Like Parker could have easily been like, hey, man, like I'm keeping my secrets to myself, you know. <laughs> but he was like, oh, this is what I'm using. They're great. Here's the link. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm always I'm always very thankful for these, you know, bigger uh bigger makers who are always willing to help the little guy, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I love, I love those for edge dye, uh, my edge stain applications, the edge dye applications, cause they just make it so easy, especially when you're using a big belt. My, my black one actually has a little bit of a groove in it now because I've used it so much to do the edging on my oh, belts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, all my edging has always been black only recently have i actually started adding brown edging to my uh yeah. to my uh my my portfolio um but it's it's yeah the united states marine corps black man that is as black as black comes and i love it because i was using another black i think i was just using the, the re- regular phoebings black and i was like man this looks like you know crayola marker black you know where it's just like a dark blue and the people at tandy were like oh if you want black black yeah you you, this is what you want to use and i was like how come this isn't just their standard black you know what i mean (laughs) how come they have like fake black and then the united states marine corps black is true black but yeah that stuff you got to give it like three or four buffs to get all the pigment off the surface once it's uh once it's fully dried because there's just so much black pigmentation in that dye that you just have to keep buffing before you put your finish on it um or else it, it just will will go kind of leech off yeah but it's man that stuff is if you want to get a black dye man united states marine corps black that's oof. that stuff's oh. good stuff <laughs> yeah do the water based um dyes do they smell the feebings one? Uh, I don't think they do. I'm, but also, I might just be used to it by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think they have a. Cr- I mean, it, I feel like all dyes smell a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that they have a very offensive smell. Yeah. And from what I've witnessed, they don't have a post dry smell either like the oil tan does the oil not the oil and the oil dyes um the oil dyes for some reason man that smell really bothers me because like i wouldn't want a bag or a belt that smelled like that you know what i mean i wouldn't Mm -hmm. i wouldn't use it if it did so um it's uh it's nice to be able to die if i need something small because like i said i'm not I'm not dying my bigger products anymore, but every once in a while, you know, somebody will ask for like a, a different color interior for my leather wallets. And, you know, I just, I just make my leather wallet interiors uh, out of two ounce veg tan, no matter what it is. It's always two ounce, ve- two ounce natural veg tan. And then um, the exterior, you get an option of what you want. And it's basically, you know, uh, but I've had some people would be like, Hey, like, can I pay you to dye the inside of the wallet like brown or black? Or I've had people ask me for purple and, yeah. <laughs> and you know, cause you can't get those weird colors and oil, you know, they have to be the water based in order or, or uh, spirit based in order to be the weirder colors. Mm-hmm. So, so it's nice to have that option. But yeah. like I said, I'm almost everything I do now is just, is uh every, all the leather I dye is pre dyed, pre finished. So, 
it's uh, no longer having to deal with you know dry times and sealing them and because I, I also like a, a matte finish like or a more matte finish on my leather I don't really like the shiny gloss yeah so uh, so I've never been able to even there even like the matte or semi gloss uh, sealers that I found still come out too glossy for my taste yeah um, but you know that that's why it's nice to just be able to buy it ready to go <laughs> yeah i remember when i was dying leather like at the start you know i'd have a like a respirator on and in the end i just got so sick of it i was like this shouldn't be what leather craft is like because just, you know you gotta <laughs> die you gotta wait for it to dry and then you know you gotta make sure you condition it because it can dry out and it, right and then it's like and that's why i just went straight and then i went to like pre-dyed already and it's just it was amazing. You just cut all that out. You just go straight into cutting. It's really nice to go right into the making and not have to do all that prep work. You yeah. Know? And I know so many people that like they only do natural veg because they're like, I don't want to have to deal with any of that. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't even want to have to deal with like the pre-dyed stuff. You know, because mm-hmm. there has been times where like you know, especially if you buy leather from a not very trusted tannery. You know, if they don't tan it right, it, it just it rots from the inside out. You know, especially with the chrome tan stuff. If it's not cured fully or whatever, it's I don't think the proper terminology is cured, but technically, if it's not done right, it'll literally just start rotting from the inside of the leather yeah. outwards, and, yeah. and then it'll eventually just fall apart on you. Um, I haven't seen that personally, but. I've seen, I've heard of it happening where people are get, you know, people spend a couple hundred dollars on a, a, a side and they, and the minute they cut it, it's, a, it's like completely blue on the inside because the dye hasn't gone all the way through in, in the tanning, in the, in the, uh, not the tanning, in the finishing process. And yeah, yeah I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have to deal with that myself, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, it really is nice to just get something that's like, pre-dyed pre-finished it looks exactly the way it's supposed to look and you just get the cutting you know you don't have to worry about anything you just cut it and you, you stitch it and it's done yeah. you know it just it, it your production time goes down like crazy um you don't have to charge you know four hundred dollars for a wallet because it takes you three days to make it <laughs> you know yeah uh you get you can actually charge a normal amount for your stuff and that means more sales of coming in your end is with chrome tan so i've heard that there's a to uh to do the edges on chrome tan is different to veg tan so what's the what's the difference between the because i want i know about veg tan but what's the difference between like why is it different the than chrome tan? so so i think the big reason is um the big reason is because when you're when you burnish when you're burnishing veg tan, you know, you're basically heating up the fibers with the burnishing agent and it's making it all lay one way. You don't really have fibers like that with chrome tan. Um, also, the to my understanding, the chemical process of tanning it makes it so the fibers are very like soft and pliable. Um, that's why chrome tan is used for things like um you know, more for like bags and softer tempered stuff. Um, I, I've actually, I have used, you know, my Phoebe's black edge dye 
and Tolkienol to give a burnished look to um, my chrome tan edges. I have done that. Like, let, I, it, it, like if I have if I'm making a bag and um, I want to use the same leather for the handles, so I have to basically like double up the leather and sew it together. I want to finish off those edges. I I basically treat it just like chrome tan, except um, when I'm burnishing, if I am, if I'm, or if I'm sanding um, on my big sanding wheel um, from Cobra, what I do is I actually speed up the the wheel, and I make less contact with the leather. So with Veg Tan, I kind of keep it like. Maybe it's sixty percent speed, maybe fifty percent, and I give it I give it very constant pressure um, from what I'm sanding onto the sanding wheel. Whereas when I'm using my chrome tan, I'm it's going a lot faster, almost like a hundred percent, and I'm putting very minimal pressure on it to just even it up enough. Um, because what I found with the chrome tan is it like it'll almost like push the leather away rather than sand it off if I put too much pressure on it. And I think once again, that's just the properties that Chrome tanning gives to the leather. It just makes it such a nice soft temper. Okay. Uh, and so usually what I've been told from so many people, is like, that's why you, that's when you would use something like an edge coat, you know, with that, uh, if, is if you're finishing Chrome tan leather, but um, you know, I've just, I've just found with a little bit of patience, <laughs> You yeah. could you could work it just like uh, veg tan. It just you know it just takes more time. That's the only thing. So it sort of sounds like the the fibers are more stubborn on the chrome tan, like more way softer. Yeah, okay. they're just way softer. They they're just very malleable. Yeah. Because uh, there's no real rigidity with chrome tan, you know, unless it's I mean, even if it's like you know a very firm temper it's still the tanning process breaks everything down so much and so fast that there's no, uh, there's no real stiffness to it. And that's why, you know, and, and also, you know, Chrome tan tends to be a lot thinner than veg tan. You know, I don't, I don't think I've personally used the Chrome tan thicker than like six ounces. Mm-hmm. So, um, you can't really get like, I, I've, I've never really been able to find like a, you know, 10 to 12 ounce Chrome tan side. Um, because even stuff like Chrome XL and stuff, that's still veg tan leather, you know. Even though it's called Chrome XL, that's ve- that's technically a veg tan leather. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. I, to my understanding, Chrome XL is a veg tan um, that's just hot stuffed with tallows and and oils and stuff to give it that tempered feel. Um, but to my understanding, now, once again, I could be very wrong here, and I'm sure uh, the listeners will tell me if I'm wrong or not, but um, to my understanding, chrome tan is, because it's the same thing with, like, an English bridal. English bridal is uh, a veg tan that you could you could get a very soft English bridal, and you can get a very firm English bridal. Like, I found that the English bridal from um, Horween leather and the English um, bridal compared to like Wicked and Craig or um, or uh, Herman Oak. All three are considered English bridal because of the, the way they process the leather, but all three have very different feels to them, you know? Yeah, I, I, noticed, uh, I noticed that with, cause with Ced, like Cedric, 
in English oh, bridal. That's a lot more. That's a lot more firmer. And was yeah. like, it's interesting because like you get Wicked and Craig, and that's like a lot softer. And it's like, how are these two like bridal leather? Like I expect right, right. the the, more, the so... Cedric one to be more of a bridal leather because it's more stiffer. That's what like so it's, my, it's crazy. My standard my standard belts um, are Herman Oak, and if I can't get Herman Oak, I will um, Herman Oak English bridal, and if I can't get that, I'll buy Sedwig. Said Sedwig, Sedwig, um, one of those. Uh, yeah. yeah, Sedwig. Um, if I so if I can't get the Herman Oak that I need, that my clients and and customers have like learned to like. Okay, this is what a bear claw leather belt feels like. Um, I'll get the Sedwig, and it's if it's just as good, if not better, than the Herman Oak. Like I've actually been thinking, maybe I just go full Sedwig from now on. You know what I mean? Like there, because that leather is that good. I love that bridle, man. That's a nice. That's a great belt leather. Guys you know, in mean? the states, you have tanneries to to choose from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the big three. You know, Horween, Herman Oak, and Wicked and Craig. Um, those are like the big three name brand ones. And then there's um, Thoroughbred, which I like, and I believe they're part of like the Tasman Group. Um, Thoroughbred, I want to say they're in in Kentucky or Tennessee, uh, somewhere in that area. And then um, they have another kind of sister group called Acadia Leather, and that's yeah. not far from me. That's that's up in Maine. They're about a uh, they're about a four and a half hour drive from me. I've actually gone up there and like bought stuff myself and kind of like they gave me a big tour and I uh, I took a bunch of photos for them um, for their website as well. That, well, I mean I don't know if they use them, but I took a bunch of photos, edited them up, sent them over to them, being like, hey, I took these photos from the tour and I, I know they threw some some of the photos up on their Instagram and Facebook, but um, and they said they were going to use it on their website, but I don't think they ever did. So, but um, so it's Wicked and Craig Hallroom, and what's the third one? Uh, Herman Oak. Yeah. Okay. Herman Oak. Yeah. Those are those are like so. Herman Oak is like that. That tends to be the one that a lot of people who do um, like regular straight undyed uh, veg tan. That's the one people tend to go for. Um, you see a lot of saddle makers use Herman Oak leather and stuff like that. And then, you know, there's the smaller places, kind of like um, Rocky Mountain and and um, and all those other smaller th- places that will just get orders from all these other tanneries and resell them. Yeah. You know, like Buckle, Buckle Guy does that. Rocky Mountain Leather Group does that. Um, who's the other one? Actually, so the leather I got was the Herman Oak english bridal I bought okay so you got that. the herman oak so okay. is that how'd sim- you like that no I'm, i've ordered that from buckle guy um so that's so the herman oak is what i use for my my bridal belts yeah 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 but uh, i like it a lot it's, it's nice and stiff and it has a good feel to it yeah um yeah i go i go through buckle guy i go i go through rocky like mountain they're, they're they're local they're local to me as well they're I want to say they're about an hour away from here. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, we I, when I was doing this a little bit more than I, I am now, I was ordering from them. I feel like almost weekly, and it got to the point where they're like, "Hey, man, if you ever want to like just come over and pick up your orders, <laughs> you can you can like save some money on shipping." And I was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll do that one of these days. Yeah. I, I should reach out to them again." And they're they're putting out some amazing products lately. 
yeah, they they um, yeah, they sh- they sh- they sure are. Like I've got I bought some tiger thread from them, because uh, even buckles like to find buckles is like you wouldn't think it was so hard to. Yeah, I I I would say I feel very spoiled ever since I found uh buckle guy um years ago. I I feel like. I could just I could just order whatever I want, you know, and, and sure there's some stuff that they don't have there that I'm looking for, but there's always like another like if I can't find it there, I could probably find it on Weaver's website. You yeah. know? <laughs> like there's always some type of site. But man, once again, going back to what we were saying earlier, the shipping on that must be crazy for you. Um yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty annoying. I think I cuz I guess I I don't go through the normal postal service because that's just, like, a headache. Like, you know, I've watched, like, things... Um, like I've, watched, I've seen the tracking from America. It's, like, goes to, like, this place, and it goes to Chicago, and then it goes to this place, and this place, and yeah. this place, and this place, and this place, and this place, and then it comes to Australia. And then when it comes to Australia, it's, like, Melbourne, Adelaide, home, like, straight to me. Um that's why I go through DHL now, and that just that is so right. much more quicker. Um, it's so much more direct. Yeah, you, you're paying, but at least it's direct. Yeah, and it's sort of like in a week, a week and a half turnaround, mm. like to to get here. But um, yeah, it's it's a it just shows like how much, uh, how much things have gone offshore and how much it's hard to find things locally made. Like if, if, if the internet didn't exist, I don't think a lot of us leather crafters could do a lot of us crafters could do what we do because the, the, the internet has kept, has re- has allowed to research this boom because you're, it's because yeah, think about it, like in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands, it's, could have we done what we're doing now? Right. Probably. No, I I agree a hundred percent. Um, I'm using. I'm currently using uh for my new for my for my whole product line. Um, everything I'm going to be using is going to be uh, Wicked and Craig. Yeah. Uh, because their their tannery is down in Pennsylvania. Um, not too far from me, so the leather could get here. I just put an order for three sides in from them. How how is that? Wicked and Craig English bridal like because I've I'm looking at the buckle so, guy stuff and they have like a real good selection. I haven't used their English bridal, truth be told. Um, I did use the Horween English bridal, and I was not impressed by it. I found it to be very soft, and every belt that I had unlined, um, just kind of like warped out of shape. For with the uh, the Horween one, um, and that's why I moved to the uh, to the Herman Oak stiffer English bridle. Um, I haven't used this, so the, the leather that I decided to use was the uh, the harness leather from yeah. Wicked and Craig. So that's the one I went with, which is kind of like so they sent me a bunch of samples, um, and I would say that the harness leather is softer than the um, English bridle, but so it's got a softer temper, but it feels a little bit more rigid 
kind of like a regular veg tan plain skirting. It has a nice look to it. It kind of has an English bridal look. It's, it's hot stuffed with all the tallows and the oils and everything. So it's got a little bit of flexibility to it, and it's got a little bit of an oil pull-up. But it still has a really good rigid feel to it, which I think will soften over time with use, you know? Does the Wicked and Craig, does that scratch as easy? Um, so I know, so I was talking to, um, one of the lead sales guys, um, uh, when I ordered and I, cause I know they have like a harness leather that is not like Jack glazed. And then their traditional harness is Jack glazed. So it's just like this, it's just like this wheel that hits it, that basically like polishes the surface of the leather, um, with pressure. So all the so it basically like burnishes the surface of the leather, um, and so I asked them like, hey, is it possible to get this leather without it? He goes, yes, but because the harness leather is hot stuffed with all the wax and um, oils and tallow and stuff during the tanning process, that if you don't jack jack glaze the leather. What will happen is anything that touches the leather will basically leave a little bit of a burnish. So if you don't get it, like, quote, unquote, finished, it's going to look bad because the minute it touches something, it's going to give it a little, like, like if you just drag your finger over it, it's just going to slightly burnish that little area, and it will make the surface kind of uneven. So um, the samples that they gave me, didn't seem like they scratched easily, but then again, I didn't, I didn't like go at it with my fingernail or anything like that. This is the thing when you have so much access to leather, it's like being a kid in the candy shop. Like, you know, <laughs> which which lolly you gonna choose? <laughs> no, that's that's very true. And like, and you know, I um, like I was saying earlier when I was doing this, more of like a, oh, I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna make that, not for anyone, just because I wanted to make something. Um, yeah, I was very, I was definitely more free with like, oh, I'm going to make this out of this weird leather that I've never used before. But ever since I started like, you know, having a, a brand and I needed all my stuff to kind of like look the same and kind of have this image for my, my product line, um, I, 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 I kind of stepped away from using stuff like the the, the, the the nicer stuff like the buttero and stuff like that. And I would say actually I think I think the buttero I didn't even hear about it until I made like my brand. So like I've I think that's one of the reasons I never reached out to like Rocky Mountain and like gotten a panel to like mess with. Because I wouldn't mind having a nice like Italian leather uh wallet to, <laughs> to have in my pocket. Um but yeah, I mean, I that's that's the I think that's the biggest uh, it's one of the most stressful parts of like creating your own brand and company is, you know, you, the uniformity of all of your products. You know, your pro, all your products almost have to look like they all fit in the same family. Um and that that can get really hard because like, it doesn't go I don't know, like do you think that's true though? Like, do you think that you really need to have everything perfect? So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a need. I would say it's more a personal preference for myself and my company. Okay. 
like I personally want all my stuff to look like they all belong together. Um, And there's plenty of companies out there that I like that, you know, just make stuff out of whatever leather they want. And then they just, you know, it's more like they just do like one-offs where it's like, Hey, I had a leather to make this bag. And, and once this bag is gone, it's just gone. Um, And there's a lot of companies that, are very successful doing that. Whereas I'm trying to do more of like a situation where like, this is my catalog. Hopefully these are all the things that will always be available to anyone who wants it, you know? So I I would say there's, there's benefits to running the business both ways or here, you know, don't do what I did and just start, you know, and, but then again, compared to five, six years ago, there's, way more information out there for leather work now um you know like i i'm i'm there's so much more information now and at that at this point i say hey man youtube no you you youtube has so much information for free and all you got to do is sit through a couple of ad reads or sponsored content and like you're just getting free information and then now you've got um you know these these websites like skillshare and all these things where it's like $15 a month and, you know, whether it's from photography to photo editing to accounting, um, you know, like anything you need to run a business off of the internet, you can learn off of like a website like YouTube or Skillshare. You can learn how to balance your checkbook. You can learn how to file your taxes. You can do everything online. Um, it's kind of like becoming the new community college, yeah. you know, where people are like, I could just take a community college course for three weeks and I'll learn, you know, accounting one-on-one or you could just watch YouTube for 10 hours and learn everything you need to learn about accounting one-on-one, you know? And I'm talking about like the basics of like, this is how you file your taxes. You can learn it all for free. There's people who are accountants who literally will have a YouTube video on accounting. <laughs> like you, you and don't... playlists, like not even one, like playlists. Like multiple videos on like, okay, we're going to talk for an hour straight. I'm going to teach you. These are the basics of like balancing a checkbook next. Okay. This is how you, you know, keep a cash flow checker for your business next. Okay. This is how you do bookkeeping next. Okay. Now we're going to figure out how to file for a 401, like how to get a 401k for your business. It's like, this is stuff that like lawyers and accountants will charge so much money for to teach you. And there's people out there who are like, I'll teach you how to do it for free. <laughs> or like, like setting up a website. Here's how you set up a Shopify website. Like it's just so it's so you, you don't need a you don't need a web designer, you don't need anything like that. You just okay, here's this guy who's gonna teach you how to he's gonna walk you right through with a, with a screen share. Is this see this button? You click this exact button that I'm clicking. it's like okay cool like that's what just frustrates me about like university and all all that these days is that you know like leather work i haven't had any formal training in leather work Um, no i mean i'm it took me a long time to get my bachelor's because i'm a kinetic learner i learn from doing i don't learn from reading a book i don't learn from listening to people talk um flashcards and studying never worked for me i never knew why until i actually understood how people learned and I was like oh wow like no wonder I was so good at things like geometry and physics is because you could like work it out you know what I mean yeah but then like you tell me to spell you know spinach and I'm and I'm I'm in my head five minutes like okay how do you do like 
So, tips for growing customers. You know, I wish I could have a. I wish I had a uh, black and white answer for that. But um, realistically, for me, I I think people just saw that I, I I cared a lot about my products, and I cared a lot about the people buying my products, and they saw that, you know, I wasn't trying to sell them cheap stuff for high handmade prices um and i think that's that's how a lot of my customers grew um i i i never i never spent a lot of time doing a lot of marketing which is probably the worst answer to give you know if you have time the time and money for marketing do marketing <laughs> um it's gonna it's gonna make your life a lot easier but um you know, I grew I grew the business while I was still in college and stuff. So it's not like I was I had a lot of money to give into the into the business. Um, I was barely making a profit to begin with. So a, how a lot of my clientele grew was just word of mouth. You know, people carrying around you know wa- little wallets and and bags and people asking you know oh would you get that and you know a lot of the people who bought you know the bigger items for me like the bags and whatnot. Um, they would actually, you know, always ask for a good number of business cards to be in the bag when I mailed it out to them, or if they bought it at a fair or something, they would uh, ask to grab a bunch of them, and and I would get messages from them like a week or two later saying, giving out so many of your cards, your business cards, because uh, every every day I go out and people ask me about, you know, the wallet I'm using or the bag I'm carrying around, and you know, I I really don't. I, I really would say that like word of mouth is your best way to build a organic clientele base. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with also just being really good at marketing and utilizing search engine optimization and stuff like that. Sadly, even after five years um, of being in this business, I still have a hard time with that stuff because I just uh, I, I, I don't know a lot about it so <laughs> I, i'm tr- still trying to teach myself how to do it properly and it's a uh, i i just have a hard time with it but i know a lot of people out there who do their own marketing do their own search engine optimization and whatnot and um it, it works really well for them mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's amazing how qu- quick word of mouth can spread as well oh absolutely and that's and that's something that like there's so many people in your direct area, like here in the States, you know, we have, you know, different States in this country. And like, let's say if I just like, I don't need to be shipping stuff across the country. Would it be nice? Yeah. I'd I'd love to ship stuff. But like, if I only sold to people in the Massachusetts area where I live, I still have millions of potential clientele. You know, (laughs) like, it's not like, it's not like I have, um, it's, it's not like I only, there's only 25 people out here that I could sell to. So I have to like sell outside of that, you know? So like, you know, there's so many people living in my little area alone that, um, the word of mouth alone can, it's, it's a pretty good way of marketing your business. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've even underestimated that because I always thought, I sort of thought similar how it's like, oh, I need to be shoot, like selling like overseas or, you know, interstate or something like that. And it's like, well, when you look around your local population, usually that's quite big anyway, you know, like that's right, enough right. to 
to get you going to start with. And I would say even if only like 20% of the people in your direct population bought from you, maybe even like 10%, that's still a good number of people, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're, like I said, unless you're living on an island with only 20 people and decide to make leather work and have no way of <laughs> shipping off that island, then yeah, yeah, it might be problematic. But, you know, we're, most of us live in uh, in pretty complex and com uh you know high population areas mm. so there, there's always there's always potential nearby and you know i don't think people should get discouraged if they're seeing how someone is doing so much better than them because you know people have different skill sets people have different demographics you know because i don't because i all the fairs i do are nowhere near the direct area of where i live i travel about an hour hour and a half to do my fairs to um in in more, um, more, uh, I don't want to say upscale neighborhoods, but you know, like kind of more touristy areas where there, there, there's people out there trying to spend money. You know what I mean? I live in a little town on the Southern border of Massachusetts where it's a blue collar working town. You know, we don't even have, uh, we don't have a lot going on in the town at all. If you live here, it's because your house is here. It's not like there's, um, there's not, there's no, uh, you know, tourism out in this area or, or mm-hmm. anything like that, you know? Yeah. You live, you live in quite a rural area? Yeah. Um, literally, our downtown is like two blocks. And it, um, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a very blue-collar working town. And I like it here, you know? It, it's quiet, you know? Like, everything yeah. shuts down at, like, 8.30, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so so that, that that is the one downfall where it's like, if you're hungry past 8 o'clock, you got to get in your car and go somewhere. You can't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of options. But, um, you know, we do... We, we, we have a good amount of land. We have about an acre of property. So it's, it's nice that we could just, you know, go outside in our backyard. So... There's some there's something nice about being able to go outside and like not hear or see your neighbors, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really nice. I know, be so good as well. Like you know, you can the activities you can do like dirt, like ride motorbikes and yeah. I mean, we don't have and... that much we don't have that much space for motorbikes and stuff. But like my mom has like 14 acres. She's out in like and it's on like a hill. So she basically lives on the hill that she owns, yeah. which is awesome. Um, you can't even you, you, you can't even like see a neighbor. You can't hear anything. She um, she's not she's never been one for firearms, but you know because she lives out there. Then they've got like you know brown bears and fisher cats and stuff like that. And they've got all this wildlife. So she had a, a friend of theirs. That she met out there teach her how to like shoot a shotgun and stuff and they were like she was like oh so like do we need to go to the shooting range he's like let's just go to your backyard like he's like he's like he's like there's no one back there let's just shoot into the woods and she's like what like my, my mom is such a my mom is is a country girl at heart but she's definitely a city girl you know like um but i i remember she told me she's like you know she, I, uh she called me up and she's like i i I shot a gun out of my backyard today. I'm like, what? Where'd you get a gun? And she was like, oh, my my, uh, my farmer friend brought it over and taught me and Nick how to shoot. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like, yeah. she's kind of, she's always been one of those people who's always been like a little terrified of weapons. And I'm like, hey, man, it's it's just a machine, you know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a bunch of pulleys and 
and and cogs and unless that little hole in the end is pointed directly at you or at something important it can't hurt you it can just be really loud yeah (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah my brother he went to like when he went to america shooting range there and it's like pretty much any gun you can think of (laughs) we have a couple of ranges we go to but a lot of the ranges in here that are indoor are like you can only go up to like nine millimeter so you go rent you can rent a big rifle but they're all cape they're all uh chambered in nine millimeter out here um just because because a lot of the ranges are not really like on these big pieces of property they're just like in industrial parks (laughs) and they just have a they just have a, a a bunch of soundproofing and and like, so you can hear it, but it like, it's still like, you know, if anything more than nine millimeter, you're going, or like you can do shotgun and stuff like that, but you can't do, you know, like two, two, six rounds or something. Cause I'll just pierce right through the soundproofing into like through the steel wall. Oh, um, yeah. but yeah, there, there was this awesome place out here and it was just this guy who had a so much land and he had a quarry that was like connected to his backyard. And then he, like, ended up buying, like, half the quarry or he bought the whole quarry. And he just let people just get on the property and just shoot guns whenever they wanted. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing because, like, he didn't have to be a member or anything. He he didn't ask for money. He was just like, hey, if you want a place to shoot, you can come here. These are the times that I'm allowing people to come over. And, like, you know, he had a little, like, gun shop. So, like, the, we just did the right thing. And, like, every time we went, we bought a box of ammo from him or something like that. Um, but, yeah, they, he ended up getting shut down because um, all the space around his place got um, sold. And they started building houses. And my, uh, my wife and I are trying to get uh, into the range way more often now. It's, just, it's, it's hard when we're so busy, you know? Yeah. I remember I saw this one. It was like four, four, um, fifty cow, like anti-aircraft gun. It's like shooting like quad fifty cows. I saw this other guy. He had some. They got hold of like a bull turret from World War Two. Like you know the turret that sits underneath the yeah, airplane, yeah. and they like put um, I think they like re they put like hydraulic oil in it and just spruce it up a bit, and you can actually go and like sit in the bull turret and like shoot like two fifty cows. That sounds like a lot of fun. I love those Hueys, those helicopters. Eh? Like, if I got my helicopter license, I'd, I'd want a Huey. Yeah, for sure. I know someone out here who just got his pilot license, and now he wants to get his helicopter license. Yeah. He was talking about, you know, like, okay, what helicopter do I get? I'm like, do you have to buy one? <laughs> like rent one like i feel like that's really i feel like it's an investment and a half like to just get your license i guess i'm buying a helicopter now (laughs) yeah well i've actually looked up hueys on like on the internet and they're like 300 to 400,000. that's a house australian dollars yeah that is a house that's a house house, man and, and that's and that's just to buy it, not even like gas storage. Yeah. Like the mechanic is probably super expensive. Like, <laughs> well, I guess they're reliable because they got like when they got shot out in Vietnam, they stayed up. So, nah, you know, if you if you plan on going anywhere that you're gonna get shot at, I guess you need it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a flying house. Yeah, it's just a, a big... Fl- I mean, if you're going to live in it, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I have... I'm just one of those people that, like... If I if I won 
the lottery tomorrow. I don't think I'd change anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with my truck that like, you know, I'm having some change. Maybe I'll get like a, a, another truck, but I'm not getting like a Lamborghini or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm like, that just doesn't, it just doesn't, it's, it's not practical to like life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think even if I won the lottery, I'd be very, who I would tell would be so like little, like I would, I would like, I probably, I'd drag it out as long as I could. So I don't know what the laws are in Australia, but out here, um, at least in Massachusetts, somebody has to be in person yeah. to accept the money. So I was, because uh, a couple of years ago, the lottery was insane. But yeah, like a lot of people were like, hey, if anybody wins, remember, like, have your lawyer go get it and like put it in a trust. Like, don't, because like so many people, the minute you, they're, the photo of you with your money with that big check, like people just come after you. Wow. You know, because that, that's, the, that's the scary thing is like, Oh, you yeah. have to like have they like they like have to put your name and your photo out as part of winning it. And, I'm, and now you're putting out like all my information. Like, no thanks. <laughs> wow. But I'd be worried about the lawyer taking off with it. <laughs> oh no! Like, what you do is you just have them like they're. I forget the way it is. It's like it's something like you you have them. They're they're able to sign off on it, but they can only put it in a certain bank account or something. Oh, okay, yeah. Like so, the bank so the bank account and trust is under your name, but they have to be the one who signs off on it and something. Plus, who cares, man? Give them a million dollars. You got like fifty. <laughs> like <laughs> that's crazy. The, the laws in this, the laws out here for lottery are really weird, and I'm I'm not a big, I myself am just not much for gambling anyway. Yeah. Like, I, so thanks for coming on, Bear. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome, man. I I appreciate you having me on the podcast.